0: Uh, we, are, we are about to talk about the uh, movie, I think we all, one of the three movies we all liked. Uh, Michael, no, so four, four. Michael Clayton.
1: Ugh, yes. <laughs> Michael Clayton was not my favorite. Okay, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> <laughs>
2: To episode 19 of Bowlet. Uh, we're really getting up there. Uh, only been recording these for like three years. And so, you know, really impressive that we made it to episode 19. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Chris, and I am here with my co hosts, Nate and Zach. How are you guys?
0: Good. I'm uh, moving in the middle of a pandemic. So, not good, but I'm faking it.
3: Still living in the woods, working out fine for now. So, doing alright.
2: Yeah, alright. Uh, Well, so this is the... Well, this is uh our second iteration of the Ballot Movie Club.
4: Second and uh, a half.
2: Yeah, we we did like a three-movie thing. That was a trial run, and then we decided we liked that so much we were going to make each other watch a billion movies. <laughs> and didn't and have anything else one, to do. The first one worked out really well, Uh I I think for the most part, we really enjoyed a lot of those movies. This one went very poorly. (laughs) Uh, The ratio of movies we enjoyed to movies we didn't necessarily enjoy was not a good one. Um, So if you followed along and and watched all of these movies with us, which I I know at least one person has. (laughs) (laughs) Deepest apologies. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, Promise that the next round is going to be better because we already decided what movies we're going to watch and they are better. Just looking at this list, it (laughs) makes me happy because, uh, man, this, (laughs) the movies we just watched were kind of tough. Yeah. With the exception of a handful that we're going to talk for probably the bulk of the time about.
0: And I think I watched the handful of the ones that I knew were going to be good as like five of my first six movies. (laughs) <laughs> so I just had to slog through the un- unadulterated shit that we recommended to each other afterwards.
2: So, I bounced it out pretty well and ended up watching most of your movies last, Zach.
0: Perfect. Just what I wanted. <laughs> so, I mean, I, uh, I, I think we all tried to go a little bit more off the, let's just give classical good movies that we all know are good. And because last time you were the only one that gave a real guilty pleasure, we were just like, no, we need to give guilty pleasures. And we're like, no, we don't need to
3: give guilty pleasures.
0: These movies are terrible.
3: It was was a real hold my beer moment in terms of guilty pleasures. There was a real, oh, oh, interesting. A bad movie, you say. May I introduce you to... So uh, yeah. many things for you to look
2: forward to if you have not been following along with the ballot movie club. Definitely also, tune in. A little behind the curtain here, uh, Zach is in the process of moving apartments, and since he has been recording in his bedroom, it, he was trying to figure out a way to make this recording process a little less, uh, you know, claustrophobic, horrifically depressing. Sent me some some test audio of him recording in his. <laughs> furnitureless living room and it sounded like a god voice with all the <laughs> echoes coming in and I was like, dude, you cannot sound like that on this podcast <laughs> these podcasts are way too long for people to be laughing every time you talk just for what you sound like
0: yeah it's, so it's, it's like the this has been
3: Audiophile Nerd Corner yeah. for all you people who are <laughs> real hype about room reflections
0: yeah, and that's that's basically all that living room is. I have a table and a record player and that's about it. So <laughs>
3: highly absorbent surfaces.
0: Exactly. Um so <laughs> so I very quickly realized, nope, I have to go back into my bedroom where it's the only place in the entire apartment that has like like blankets in it at this point <laughs> or like cushions <laughs> or anything like that
2: you be shocked how much, I mean, and Nate wouldn't be shocked, but I feel like the <laughs> average person would be shocked by how much uh, sound absorption you get from furniture.
0: Yeah, Nate, can you uh, teach us a little bit about sound absorption for the next half an hour before we go into the <laughs> next four hours of our movie discussion?
2: That's yeah. why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> Carpets.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Moving on. <laughs> All right, so should we talk about some, uh, some movies that we didn't hate? or at least most of us didn't hate.
0: Yeah, of course.
2: Um, so my first suggestion, my quote unquote good suggestion was the color of money. Um, I think Nate and I can probably talk for a, a minute or two about the hustler as well, which is, uh, the movie to which the color of money is a sequel. Um, color of money, uh, excellent film that i've i've seen a handful of times and i I watched it again because i liked it so much it's a scorsese film uh paul newman tom cruise very excellent uh don't know the name of the actress but she's also very good in it um yeah i'm curious to hear what you guys thought about it
3: so, I had never seen this. I had seen The Hustler before, but I rewatched it um, in advance of this, which was great to just go back and, and revisit that and stare at Paul Newman's face for approximately two hours because very never answer. a bad thing. Just very, like really, sometimes answer. I take salsa containers and just sort of gaze <laughs> longingly into them for a while. Um, that man was perchance the most handsome of all time. Uh, so. I hadn't seen The Color of Money before. I actually didn't really, I'd, I'd heard of it and I didn't really know the the connection between the two movies. Um, so Revisiting the Hustler was was great. It's a movie about uh, Paul Newman as a pool shark um, who also struggles with substance abuse and, and sort of the, the foibles that come out of that. Um, and The Color of Money picks up, I want to say, 20 to 30 years later in Paul Newman's life. So he's at a very different phase in his life. Um, no spoilers for some spoilers for uh, a sixty-year-old movie in the color and the, the Hustler, but um, literally uh, yeah. at the at the end of that movie, he is uh, no longer going to be sort of uh, continuing his pool career to the same extent that he was. Um, and so, this movie picks up where he's sort of at a, at a different stage in his life. But it's you see a lot of the same sort of hustling traits about him incorporated into other aspects of his his life. He's now um, sort of uh, finding ways to con people into buying cheap whiskey and thinking that it's expensive and and other sort of things like that. So having that background of The Hustler was great as a setup for The Color of Money, especially watching them back to back because it sort of prepares you for this character and and fills in a lot of the motivation that I think if you're just watching The Color of Money is there and is outlined, but is maybe a little bit lacking by comparison. It it helps to have a little bit of that grounding. Um, The Color of Money was obviously stylistically a very different movie than the hustler and um really sort of quintessentially um scorsese-esque in its um its use of cinematography and the use of uh, pop music and the use of uh sort of like fast zooms or spin cuts or things like that uh Things that, if you are familiar with sort of the Scorsese vernacular, it, it just immediately sort of like latches onto that. And that was a little jarring coming immediately out of The Hustler, which is a, a very different movie from a cinematography standpoint um, uh, and directorial standpoint. Uh, but it it's just, it's such a fun movie, and it's a fun movie to live inside of. It's, the, you know, uh, even when there's sort of terrible things that are happening and people are sort of sinking into depression or sinking into um, sort of like... Uh, the seediness of, of uh, the life that they've created for themselves um, or, or sort of falling prey to the, their own um, inadequacies as people um, or getting played by Forrest Whitaker. Um, it, it, it's such an enjoyable movie to just be a part of and to sort of be along for the ride of. Um, I've never enjoyed watching people play pool as much as I have in that movie. Uh, and so that was it was a really great um, it was a really great watch just to be a part of um, Tom Cruise being like cocky as shit Tom Cruise is is always wonderful um, we've talked about him at a few different incarnations of Tom Cruise but it was a real blast to see him sort of in this like young cocksure just really um, full of himself arrogant but incredibly talented uh, pool shark so, yeah, I loved it. I was really glad to finally see it.
0: I uh, had not seen The Hustler. I didn't get a chance to before I watched The Color of Money. Um, and I will say I really enjoyed it. Um, I, what you were saying, Nate, at the beginning, the Paul Newman kind of down on his luck used to be someone bigger, you know, had talent and lost it. That was pretty clear. I think, you know, even coming in blind, that was pretty well done. Um, just to show that, you know, you know, when you're hustling booze, you know, you're not the cool person, (laughs) you know, you're not the top of the game when that's the gamut you're running. Um, and you know, they show him doing the kind of cool stuff of, you know, he knows the people at the bar so we can play a con on, uh, Tom Cruise right at the beginning, but you kind of see this, you know, old dude who's lost a, a bit trying to gain things back. Trying to coach a cocksure young guy, um, and it was a it was a fun watch. It was you know I feel the same way when we were watching Out of Sight that it was like you know still honing their craft. Um, directors with Soderbergh being like maximalist Soderbergh. This is pretty maximalist uh, uh, Scorsese. Um, I highlighted a transition uh, that I sent to you both where it's him, basic uh, Paul Newman basically, like, getting back on the horse, and there's, like, a very short training montage of him getting in shape to play pool again, <laughs> where he, like, hits, breaks a nine rack, which transitions into him doing a back dive off of a high dive to a, like five seconds of him swimming to a freeze frame of him jumping out of the water and then... It, breaching. Tre- breaching the water. <laughs> and then it goes into him getting an eye exam and all of it, like... <laughs> 12 seconds
3: and it's just like what the fuck is happening right now
2: now he's good again <laughs> yeah,
3: it was it was a real like i'm not sure if i hadn't been watching the rest of the movie that would be the moment when i would be like i'm not sure that martin scorsese knows what pool is because <laughs> it it's a lot of things that like i guess tangentially could be related to pool there's also the eye exam is important because there is no real indication throughout (laughs) the entirety of the movie that there's anything wrong with his eyes and then it's sort of like the the moment he's getting back on the horse is the moment he finally goes and gets that eye exam with you know no preparation for it do do you think james winston watched
0: this
2: and then got lasik before yeah definitely definitely He's like, oh, all I need are some, like, really sick aviator shades that are prescription have prescription lenses, and I'll be good to go. Now yeah. I see that safety.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I did like this movie. I didn't love it as much as both of you. It, like, I can't really think of anything specific that I didn't like about it. It just didn't grip me as much as, you know, some of the other suggestions that we've had in the past. It was like... I very much enjoyed it. It's in that, like, three-and-a-half to four-star kind of thing. Um, Paul Newman is great. Tom Cruise is great when he's not going, like, super Tom Cruise. He gets a little Oprah jumping on the couchish at points. <laughs> um, I like that part, though. I, I like yeah, some I of those parts. It happens often.
3: The the pool stick kung fu is, is very much so Tom Cruise and also very much so in the character that he created, which I'm sure was... Scorsese having him be Tom Cruise, you know what I mean. Yeah. So it like it's a little bit of the the reality merging with the uh, the medium. But uh, I thought I thought it worked for me. Um, the The thing that was a little bit that held held it back from being you know higher on my overall list, um, which later in the pod we'll talk about our rankings for this specific um, round. And uh, but but the thing that held it back from sort of being further up for me was that and this is a little bit of a theme for, for some of the different movies we've talked about but there was a little bit of an element of like waiting for the movie to get going for longer than I expected it to and, and I enjoyed a lot of the stuff that was happening while I was waiting for the movie to get going but there were just a lot of sort of false starts and a lot of things that didn't actually go where I thought they were going to. It didn't really sort of propel us forwards. They were more sort of, there was a stasis around the earlier portions of the movie or um, a trajectory that didn't happen that felt like it was primed to. Um, I don't think that that was inherently to the detriment of the movie. In fact, I thought, I thought that those were in many ways, the stronger parts of the movie, but the movie as a whole, in terms of where it lands at the end, felt like it was lacking a bit because of that. It felt like there wasn't as much work put in to getting us where we needed to go so that when we got there, it didn't feel quite as satisfying as it could have, as opposed to comparing it to something like the hustler, which, um, I think is meditative in this way that, that really does prime us for what, where it ends up taking us at the end. Uh, So it it was an interesting, again, just a comparison that was going between those two. Even though they're very different movies, they can completely stand on their own and don't inherently need each other, but do create a really interesting dichotomy when you take them sort of as a package.
2: Yeah, so that's kind of, I was going to say, I think the early portion of The Color of Money uh, kind of tries to do a little bit of what The Hustler does and set up some things that maybe if you have just watched The Hustler you don't really need it's not it's not a retread necessarily but you get character background that you don't have if you haven't seen the hustler um to bounce off what zach said earlier um i i think you do get like all right so fast eddie felson used to be really good i don't think if you don't watch the hustler i don't think you understand how good he used to be and we're talking like this guy is the best pool player in the world, maybe. Right. Like, he he went and sought out this guy in a different city who he heard was the best in the world, and he went to go beat him. And so I, I think having that background is is pretty interesting, just especially during that montage where you're like, okay, he's, he's going to become, like, Fast Eddie Felsen again. And that sets up for... Like the whole back half of that movie, which is really nice. Um, I guess not back half. I would say like the final act. Fi- yeah, um, the final showdown. You know. Yeah, and so uh, I think what <laughs> what I liked about both of these movies, though, the most is uh, Nate touched on this a little bit. It's just like, pool is just cool to watch on on screen in this format because, especially hustling pool, because it, it's inherently confusing to the viewer like you don't know who's holding what cards like you don't know who's taking a dive you don't know who's hustling um and it, it can be especially compelling when something you don't expect to happen happens like say Forrest Whitaker hustles fast Eddie Felsen and right. you're like oh shit he's getting played right
3: now yeah and that and, was the scene that that was in, in many ways the most one of the most effective for me because it, it it did keep me the most off balance, especially, again, having this background with Fast Eddie Felsen. By the time you get to that scene, you've watched, what, three hours of Fast Eddie Felson, Three and a half hours of Fast Eddie Felson, sort of doing his thing? And you've seen his ups and downs and things, but he's still usually either in command or losing in a way that you know is coming. Um, and that's one of the first times where I, the entirety of his game against Forrest Whitaker, I'm waiting for him to turn it on. I'm exactly. waiting for him to, to flip it. And you get to this point, and you realize, oh, he really, he really, doesn't have it. He's really lost a step in a way that doesn't allow him to keep up with this random pool shark. Um, I mean, they also
0: made was, it pretty clear that he was sloshed at that point, though.
2: Oh yeah, and and that scene benefits a lot from yeah. having the backstory of the hustler as well, where you know, as soon as he starts with that alcohol, like, right, he starts getting full of himself, and he he'll just keep going with it because he knows he can still play when he's fucked up and it turns out maybe he doesn't have that anymore
3: right and that was that was what really worked for me was the the fact that uh those were abilities that he did have and he was so sure of his ability to sort of always dig himself out of a hole and seeing that sort of like aging out of your ability to dig yourself out of a hole you've always been able to get out of which connects back to our conversation about uh sort of Tom Cruise and Ethan Hunt type of thing of like when you're so talented but unprepared and you can sort of like dig yourself out of that hole. And so you get this whole, which is a, when you have these relationships with these characters and with the characters they've played over periods of time, you get these really cool sort of networks of storytelling that can start to happen, which which is really effective. Um, I will say, I think of the two movies, I don't think that there was a better scene then the opening scene of The Hustler, the first hustle that you see is just like one of the most perfectly crafted, like well done sequences in a movie. One of the best starts to a movie. It's it's very you know it, it's in certain ways reminiscent of um, some of the other movies that Paul Newman was doing at that time. You know you, you have um, connections to sort of that same that same vibe, but it it really just it nails um, that the you get the whole sequence of the hustle and you get the whole sequence of like being kept off balance and not sure exactly what's going to happen and and who's playing who and and how that's all working out and um and then you get like the glint in his eye right at the moment when he flips it and that i feel like was something that even uh the color of money was kind of chasing the whole time was trying to catch that moment and chasing the real- hustle right exactly um <laughs> So, loved the movie on the whole. Uh, I think that I liked it as a movie probably better than The Hustler, but I think that The Hustler probably had higher highs. Um,
2: I, I think you're right. Um, my favorite scene in either movie is Piper Lori trying to type while she is fucking wasted in The Hustler. <laughs> <laughs> strong, strong contender. Um, yeah, I think, I guess the, the one other comment I had on, on either of the movies is. Uh, I think you get a lot more of the actual actors playing pool in The Color of Money. I, think. I noticed
0: that. I definitely noticed that. They were doing a few continuous shots where whoever would have to make two or three shots in a row, and the camera would just circle the whole time. Um, and they were definitely, you know, they definitely didn't show, like, the last one officially going in on some of them where they you know, pull right. up. There,
3: there was some cheating, for sure.
0: But, yeah. you know... You could definitely tell that the actors were legitimately playing for a lot of it, so. Yep.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, good movies. Um, we want to talk about a an even better movie?
0: I think so. So you guys are yeah. giving me kind of the easy ones where it's like, oh, there's this incredibly popular movie that came out last year in a very limited <laughs> release that I'm just going to suggest to you and look like I know good movies. Yeah. Um, last time it was portrait of a lady on fire um, this time it was waves um, so waves came out in 2019 um, and was pretty like the way the marketing was is like it's a story about a family and you don't really know what's gonna happen. you know the trailer they don't go into specifics really you know it's just like, A kid is kind of struggling, and his dad is there, and his sister's there, and his mom's there, but you don't really know anything about the plot. And that serves this movie better than just about any movie I've seen in a long time. Uh, I don't think we can really talk about this movie without spoiling it. Um, So I will just give a caveat of, if you have not seen Waves yet, skip ahead a couple minutes, because... um, it, 20 or so. <laughs> yeah. Because you just can't really talk about this movie um, without talking about the main central thing that happens. And so, spoilers starting now. Um, so, this movie is basically two movies. Um, it is the story of one family, the first half focusing on um, the son, who is a wrestler, promising guy, um, popular kid at school, you know, gets good school gets good grades, um, and everything. And it shows him dealing with a, uh, injury to his shoulder, a descent into, um, alcoholism and drug abuse. Um, his, you know, he accidentally, uh, impregnates his girlfriend and that's stressful. And there's dealing with an abortion and, you know, you're kind of building up to this fever pitch Until about halfway through, and this traumatic event happens where he acts, you know, he hits her and accidentally kills her. And then it just shifts, and the story is about his sister, you know. And for the second half, the brother is a ghost. You don't see him again, but you know he's there, and you know he just exists over that family and haunts them. And that moment changes all of their lives and it's dealing with the fallout and that you know really worked on me as a as a movie making technique to just do two different stories and combine them into one but i think with a less talented writer or director it could have gone horribly wrong so i'm curious to hear either of your thoughts
2: well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a parallel here that you didn't think I was gonna make, and it's uh, the Tree of Life, where you kind of get this circular narrative where it's wh- while in waves, it's not the passing of somebody, but it is the kind of removal of that person from their life and how that kind of lords over the rest of their lives. In the Tree of Life, you get you get that kind of in a in a weird nonlinear way but i did think that was the most interesting part of the tree of life is kind of getting this backstory on on how this family worked and then after that how they move on without that person and and how those interactions that happened prior affect the ones in the future and to me the most interesting thing is how you mentioned is he's a ghost he's he still affects this family after he's gone, um, and it's never explicitly mentioned until that scene where uh, is her name Emily and her dad Emily I yeah, so is the sister uh, are fishing together, and they, and, and they have this this very powerful conversation where it's like you, you know like it's okay to talk to me uh, if you're not okay, and she's like just brushes it off like she's okay, and then he absolutely breaks down. And is like I'm not okay after she asks if <laughs> like if if he's doing okay and that kind of opens up the floodgates on both sides and you get this really powerful moment where basically everything that you've been thinking about for the past like just very slow building moments of this movie uh, y- you finally get to see them borne out
3: yeah there's a real um it was impossible while watching this for me to sort of divorce form versus function and the the, um, the technical components of this movie and the narrative components and how um, deliberately, to, to the point of borderline surrealism, it was never fully diving into surrealist, but there were elements of it that felt like they were teetering on the edge of it. Um, Shifting, you know...
0: Uh aspect ratios and music right. and camera that So that, was, that and,
3: was one of the key things I was going to talk about was there are a few sp- very deliberate choices from a filmmaking perspective that had such a huge impact on the narrative and were so perfectly married to the narrative that even when you realize what's happening, which I, I, I would assume that not everybody in every setting would necessarily do like I, I was watching this thinking ahead to a conversation we were going to have about it so I was trying to <laughs> sort of pay attention to it in a way that I wouldn't necessarily have had I seen it in a theater had I seen it when it was initially released so things like there's this um, technique that the uh, that uh, Trey Edward Schultz uses um, where at the opening of the movie the aspect ratio the, the sort of framing of the movie is, is sort of standard theatrical framing and then as um, As the uh, brother in the family, as Tyler, sort of starts to descend into his addiction and starts to descend into his um, difficulty with his shoulder and his sort of problematic relationship with his girlfriend, the aspect ratio starts shrinking. So you start getting a narrower um, sort of field of view. And then as it approaches the sort of climactic moment where he has the conflict with her and where he hits her and kills her, um, it, it's shrunken all the way down and then when he kills her it is the sort of almost like a Instagram mm-hmm. <laughs> framing type of thing it's in a square aspect ratio and it stays there through that moment through his trial and as it transitions to Emily and then as it's Emily's story over time as she meets her new boyfriend it starts to expand outward as she spends time with him it starts to expand outward as they go and visit his dying father and spend time with him and sort of there's this element of forgiveness baked into that narrative that bleeds into her relationship with him it starts to expand outward and it's it's on the nose in as much as that can be of the like, oh, your life sort of constricting to this tunnel vision type of perspective when there's trauma, when there's crisis, when there's addiction, when there's whatever sort of driving you in that perspective, when you're contending with all those things. And then as your life starts to move on and move forwards, it expands out. And for anyone who's dealt with trauma, for anyone who's dealt with loss, for anyone who's dealt with addiction, any of the things that, not speaking for everyone's experience, (laughs) but that there's a real, very literal truth to that in terms of what you can see happening in the world, what you can be aware of, what you can access when you're in sort of the deepest moments of that stuff where you really are just, the, the, it's a tunnel vision. It's, it's a, the, the, the edges are blurred. The edges are blacked out there. You can't see it. And as time goes on, it, it expands. And it was such a literal manifestation of that but in a way that – I think this is exactly your point, Zach. In the hands of someone who wasn't handling all aspects of this so delicately and so effectively, it would have been some bullshit. It yeah. would have been some shit that we would have shit all over saying like it was somebody who was just on the nose about it and couldn't think up an interesting way to do it. And just, could, But there's something so well um, – there's something earned in in the entire story. Every mm-hmm. element of it is sort of feeding every other element of it. So the play with light that's happening, yeah. throughout the play it's, with like hints of police car light before you get to the moment of police cars. Hints I would say of, more than hints, <laughs> right? <laughs> but but that's what I mean, right? Is it's not it's not subtle, but it's, it is. It's earned. It's max. The, the lack of subtlety is earned.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's definitely in a place where you would see lights like that so it's not right. like oh he's walking down the hallway in the school and he sees police car lights it's he's at a party and, oh
0: he's in a ballet studio and they're about to go to bed he sees
2: <laughs> yeah we'll get there um, uh so, um, oh boy not so not to go ahead well yeah so i uh d- i don't i stepped out for a second to let the dog out but um i don't know if we mentioned the a soundtrack that was made specifically for zach um <laughs> so zach's the, playlist that accompanied them yeah. <laughs> so the, i the actually sent things, you a
0: custom copy that was just <laughs> me playing my songs over the movie
2: <laughs> yeah so not only is it an incredible soundtrack just face value if you're looking at the soundtrack on spotify or whatever um it's integrated perfectly into the film some of those music cues are absolutely incredible uh specifically one that I called out to you guys while while we were watching while I was watching was so I, we, I am a god. Yeah. Um, Which
3: I had so <laughs> I had watched this movie I think a day before Chris watched it. And Zach had already seen it, of course, because he had suggested it. So I was texting directly with Zach, and I had a number of sort of specific moments that I shouted out. Chris the next day was <laughs> texting about those, and it was almost a transcript of what I had texted. So he referenced the I am God moment. He referenced the Colin Stetson moment. He referenced the aspect ratio. He referenced. It was just this checkbox of, of, like, going down the list. It was unbelievable, which, which again, mirrored. is a testament...
2: Well, it also mirrored our uh, experience with Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Exactly. Because I yep. had seen it at, like a day or two yep. before. He... Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But not only was the soundtrack excellent and spaced well, like, integrated well into the film, but uh, I mean, you get Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross doing the score, which uh, I mean, one of my favorite scores of all time is the social network score that they did. Um, and I mean, they make a lot of interesting choices and and you kind of notice the score as as a thing and sometimes that's bad because i mean subtlety also not not their thing but i think it works perfectly in in a kind of film like this where it's not about being subtle those kids have a bright future
0: <laughs> yeah the yeah the thing about this movie is everything is turned up to whatever 11 you know it, <laughs> Everything is maximalist. The soundtrack is not only almost always there, but it's almost always loud, which is something I really noticed in the theater. Um, the colors are very bright and in your face. Um, the camera movements. So, the start of this movie is um, Kevin and his girlfriend are driving down a bridge in Florida with Florida Dada by Animal Collective playing. And the camera is just in the center console at head height, and it's just spinning. It's slowly spinning at, like, what, I don't know, five rotations a minute or something? And you just get disoriented, and you kind of are expecting something horrific to happen because they're kind of, like, flirting and playing and driving fast and listening to loud music. But then just, like, they go on. But you're, like, so initially put on edge by this, you know, barrage of sound and camera movement that you're like, oh, fuck, like, anything can happen in this movie.
2: There's a lot of fainting toward a big bad thing that happens, and I think, like, especially the moment where he hurts his shoulder, which comes not too deep into the movie, but also it's not, like, very early. It's It does lead up to that enough where you can kind of be like okay well this is this is like a thing that sets off like a chain of events that that leads to like some other things but maybe like that was the big event that's that like puts us on on course for what happens in this film and it does but it puts you on course to another big moment that literally shifts the entire focus of the film
3: yeah, there's a lot of specifically with that fainting. I think a lot of it is directed towards cars and directed mm-hmm. towards a car wreck. There's so many moments where you get, whether it's the spinning, whether it's certain angles, whether it's the shots you and then drunk driving, the, the constant right, exactly. driving under the influence. You, you keep expecting the crash, and you get a crash, but it's not the crash you think it is, Right? It's the context is really sort of shifted. Um, a couple things that I want to hit on to to what Zach was saying, the maximalist idea of it. The thing about that is, and again, this has to do with sort of like the the care with which this has to be handled, both on the on the um, end of Trey Edward Schultz, who, who was directing it, but also um, on, uh, on behalf of all the actors, is that within that maximalist context, the area where it felt much more reserved and much more sort of like contained was in the acting. Um, nobody was overreaching in this, even someone like Sterling K. Brown, who is absolutely brilliant it's a absolute travesty that he was not recognized for. This absurd it's just truly ridiculous he's fantastic in I, almost every role I've ever seen him in um, actually I would say every role I've seen him in definitely has, has been filtering a little bit more in the direction of um, actor who is always going to be himself but perfectly embodies the character that he's playing to a certain extent um but even at his most showy moments, was still very contained within the character. It never felt like overreaching within an acting. I could see a person being that person. Um, it didn't have to be an actor. And I think that allows so many other elements of the movie to be so stylized and so overreaching in terms of mm-hmm. their maximalism in a way that like allows that to feel authentic. If you have everything turned up to 11... Including the actual performances It stops feeling authentic It starts feeling showy You can have a movie like that But it's not going to have the same effect With this You had a movie that felt human While everything at the edges Was all static And that is such an incredible achievement In terms of like Having that um, surrealism Having that sort of artsiness of a movie That you don't walk away from thinking Oh wow that was too artsy a movie That was too performative a movie Um, So that Uh, was
2: Yeah sorry no, go ahead. Uh, well, I th- I think there are two scenes for me in the second half of the film specifically Sterling K Brown that that really kind of personify what you were saying where the the one scene where he's arguing with his wife that's that's a very real moment and he, mm-hmm. that could have been played so much higher yeah. that could have been that could have been a screaming match but it wasn't it was very reserved it was very Cuz they're yeah,
0: very clearly both hurt and still affected by it. You know, I think she says to him something like Every time I look at you, I see him, you know, talking about their son. And it's like, you pushed him. You made him do this, you know. And well, it's, She's it's not all the, the biological
3: mother of her, which no. of, is like its own little sort of wrinkle within mm-hmm. the family dynamic, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah. and, Shout and, out and to guess, Renee Goldsberry um, yeah. of Hamilton fame.
2: Okay. Uh, and then I guess the second scene I already mentioned was the the fishing scene where that's no one's like, this is my Oscar moment, like yeah. I need to turn on the waterworks. Like yeah, he he cries, but he's not like blubbering and you know. But uh, those those like,
0: should be the real Oscar moments where it's reserved real emotion, not like Claire Dane's emotion. <laughs> or the most, Daniel Day Lewis emotion. Which will get Coming me later. <laughs> up.
3: Um the the thing that, that moment which I, I texted Zach about this while I was watching it, but I'm I'm watching that scene at the river and and going, Oh cool, they're doing they're doing goodwill hunting. That's great. They're doing the like it's not your fault, Goodwill hunting, Mm -hmm. great, awesome. They're doing it by a river, cool. That's like they're combining two of the best goodwill hunting scenes and I still by two minutes into it was crying yeah. because it's so well done and it's there's so much care to the performances of it there's so much care to the crafting of it and the way that it's framed mm-hmm. the whole time and that that's not the moment when there's any showiness there's no score in that moment there's nothing it's just focused on them and so uh, Schultz's Understanding of when to dial it up and when to dial it back, and when to focus in and when to mm-hmm. not, when to have sort of that total immersion of music and of light and of sound, and then when to have nothing, is is so affecting. I think the other the other moment that was the moment when I was so completely sold on the movie was you get to the trial um, of the the son when he's sort of a, um, accused of I don't remember if he gets accused of manslaughter or murder. I
2: think I think it's it was. It was first murder. To- it yeah, was murder, to- right? Period. It was murder. Yeah. He, yeah, he's sentenced to life.
3: Yeah, right. Um, and and they're at the trial, and, and this is, you know, the, the demarcation of when it shifts stories is you see him in the aftermath of um, her murder, and he leaves, and he gets caught by the cops, and then it's the trial, and you see it from the family's perspective, and you see him from behind, and I'm watching it, and I go they're not going to show his face and they don't show his face and he leaves and he's gone and you never see his face until you've gotten to this moment of sort of clarity in Emily's story where Mm -hmm. she's able to open back up enough to think about him. And then you get to see his face and you get to see him in prison again. Mm -hmm. And it's this, again, it's this very, it's this marriage of sort of style and narrative. It's this narrative, technique, and narrative where just by doing that, it's such a literal manifestation of the dehumanization of someone when they are going through that process. And and the the ways in which someone can commit a sort of heinous act and dehumanize themselves, but then the way people can access their humanity again. And and as a viewer getting to sort of pass through that whole process as you're seeing it and whether someone who murders their girlfriend is deserving of sort of that consideration is like not engaged with in a way that it, it in any more way than it needs to it just is a recognition of like the humanity of people no matter how bad a thing they've done no matter how good a thing they've done no matter where they are in the process mm-hmm. and that was a really incredible um just a really incredible achievement i think totally um, agree the whole um
0: i I think we got to mention that, you know, Kelvin Harrison Jr. and Taylor Russell are the uh, son and daughter, respectively, and both did just incredible, incredible
2: jobs.
3: Phenomenal.
4: Yeah,
2: before we move on, I want to talk about that specific scene because I had to remark that as well. It's a a scene that I absolutely loved. Um, Like, zooming in on that scene a little bit more, uh, getting the family reaction to the sentence, first of all, heartbreaking, because, I mean, like, despite what he's done still a human being there's still a family that cares about this this person and then it pans over to the family of the girlfriend and you get this other moment where you're like oh man yeah like the, this is like a conflicting moment where mm-hmm. like that family is I guess celebrating a little but like it's more Re- yeah, relief, relief yeah. than
0: anything yeah. else
2: and it's, it's just kind of a, a real moment of conflict um, yeah Zach go ahead with whatever you are going to say I just wanted to get that in before we moved on
0: Nate was saying that you know most of the performances are pretty subdued. I think Kelvin Harrison Jr. is the one who's asked to do the most. You know, he's the one suffering. He's the most you know um, at issue, and he gives a really really nuanced performance of someone struggling through things. Um, and I want to you know commend him for that. And also, it's really hard to go from a movie that the first half is the action and the last half is the come down. You know, usually, you know, the classic thing is, like, climax comes through, what, three-quarters of the way through the movie? Um, And this one was halfway exactly, you know. it's, It's that, you know, there's the Colin Stetson chase scene that is just tense the whole time. And then everything like he, he opens should score up. End, a lot of movies
2: and
3: short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a very short chase scene. Yeah, I mean he goes. Which, home.
0: Yeah, this isn't
2: this isn't that kind of movie where you're <laughs> focusing on a chase scene.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's quote unquote realistic, you know. Yeah. In everything that yeah. happens, nothing that well, happens quote yeah. unquote is you know it's it's a kid strung. Something terrible happens, obviously, um, but it is. You know the relationship is not healthy, but it is not an abusive, like a constantly abusive relationship, um, up until what two days before the incident, kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's kind of set up as like, oh, this is like a healthy relationship where they support each other, and then there's this one thing, one huge thing thrown in there. And yeah,
0: the, yeah, the addiction, the pain, and then it's a.
2: I was thinking the pregnancy sure. first.
0: Well, of all. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, it's a sharp downturn. Yeah,
2: you know, right. it's it's not... Right, because of his
3: addiction and whatever else was going yeah. on in his persona that allowed his addiction to manifest violently. And then yes. that being a reaction to her choice to not yeah. ha- have an abortion, right? Yeah. Which is like, so that's a manifestation of, like, the patriarchy and yeah. lots of other factors that make him think that violence can be a reaction when... Mm-hmm. The stimulus has sort of pushed him to that point, right? Yeah. So it's it's a merging of all those things, none of which, and and again, I think they do such a good job of doing this. There's the moment when it's shifted to Emily's story, it's sort of at her climax in mm-hmm. in, in, in like her narrative, where she kind of breaks down and she is talking about her brother and she's like, "I hate him." Uh, when when she's, I think it's it's at the it's at the fishing scene, yeah. Right? Yeah. It, yeah. and she's like, "I hate him. He's a monster for what he did," and. And but her like anguish is very clearly not just that she hates him, right? It's it's a it's a confluence of things, and so they don't shy away from the fact that like the protagonist of this movie for the first half is a has done a terrible thing and is a terrible person, who also was a human being who you mm-hmm. were rooting for for the whole beginning, and In, you can't divorce those two things, be, and it doesn't minimize how negative that action was, mm-hmm. and it also doesn't minimize his humanity, and that
2: that's the whole thing. Yeah, they, it's. It's not a story about, like, good people and bad people. It's mm-hmm. shades of gray like real life is. And, I mean, this is an extreme example of it. It's maximalized, but... Um.
3: Which I also think they do such a good job. And, again, this is what what you what the benefit of sort of shying away from a traditionalist sort of narrative structure is you get a, a distilled version of that, the shorter version of that in Lucas Hedges' story. Lucas Hedges, um, you know, fulfilling his... Um, mandated appearance, a like twenty four <laughs> movies contractually obligated a twenty four appearance. Um, which we both pointed out, by the way. All right, exactly. <laughs> that was another one of the texts. Um, but so Lucas hedges uh, becomes the boyfriend of, of Emily, and uh, and there's a in the former teammate of her brother. Right, again, yeah, he, he
2: was introduced early in the movie, which I I thought was pretty interesting because a an actor of that caliber and of that notoriety you kind of have this feeling like he's going to come back at some yeah, point. And right. then he really doesn't for a long time.
4: Mm, you um, forget about
3: has, it. Has one of the best lines of the movie uh, when he initially meets, sort of formally meets Emily and, and is uh, asking her out and says, uh, would you want to maybe break uh, something to eat? <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, what? <laughs> and it's just a very perfect high school interaction. Um but, not not uh, to
2: my my favorite might be when he just says that sucks to when she <laughs> says her grandparents are all dead.
3: <laughs> but he uh, so so part of the narrative is she ends up traveling, convincing him to travel um, to visit his estranged father, who he hasn't had connection to in a long time, who is dying of cancer, and he finds out and and he ends up staying with him sort of through his death, um, in in like the last stages and and you get to see the distillation of the arc that you've been watching the whole time into sort of a condensed format of of this like, recognition of someone who has done terrible things, the acknowledgement of their humanity, and the forgiveness, not necessarily of the actions, but of them as a human enough to be present and, and sort of engage with them as a human and and uh, help sort of be a part of their process in, the, in their transition out of life or whatever, you know. Um, and it's really cool to see the the sort of focus zoom in on a moment like that within the larger sort of um, frame of that same narrative just blown out at different perspectives. Um, it, it was a really effective turn. It was a, it was a, a very sort of moving um, scenario that also you can see how that would uh, ripple through sort of Emily and, and be a part of her journey in terms of... Um, sort of understanding this whole process yeah um i don't know it it was a great movie It yeah. was a really great movie uh yeah we should probably move on
0: um well, producer one one thing uh, so, for a second, so i, I want to let me do okay, my I one thing and then you can do your one
4: thing
2: all right well i thought you were transitioning and <laughs> i, uh, I want to jump in before you transition uh
0: my favorite small scene in the movie was when emily comes home and sees tyler drunk passed out in the bathroom and just like Consoles him and is just like the younger sister. You know, I won't let mom or dad see you because you know, his, you know, Sterling K. Brown, the dad, is always super hard on him and is, you know, it's that kind of like familial protection thing. um And it comes back kind of when she's at the party where this, you know, tragic event happens and sees him. And you know, that's a whole thing for the second half of like, I could have stopped him, you know, I saw him. Um, and it's this constant doubt, and it's this parallel between, you know, being there for him, but then for whatever reason, doubting every single move that you make for the rest of your life because of this one minor thing that you really weren't involved in, which is just so hard to deal with.
2: Yeah, so I, I think just the last thing I wanted to say was, like, to, I guess, justify where this movie's going to end up being ranked in my rankings and and to compare it to a basically perfect movie like Portrait of a Lady on Fire I think this is the best execution of this movie so in execution it's a 5 out of 5 but I think just inherently it's really hard to start off a movie where the first half is that tense and then just totally ratchet down the tension and with the expectations of what that first half of the movie was it's hard to you know hold attention for the second half of the I think that was kind of where, like, it didn't it never lost me. And I did really enjoy that second half of the movie. But, but if there were a way to, like, watch that second half without having seen the first half and mm-hmm. then see the first half, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more.
0: I don't but think that's possible,
2: believe it or not. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. I, unfortunately, there's no way to do that. So I, that that is the best execution of that movie. But it, it's one of those, it's a really jarring tonal shift that it's kind of, it's tough. Kind of hard to, Yeah pull off and and i think they pulled it off as well as you can but it definitely this is one of those types of movies that not going to be for everybody no
0: for sure. uh nate or uh, sorry uh gabe saw this in the morning i saw this with gabe at like 11 o'clock a.m and then gabe then saw marriage story at like 7 p.m on the same day, day. <laughs> so he had just the fucking as a punch. palate cleanser Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he survived, but it, seeing this movie at 11 a.m. in the theater is a
2: lot. It'll uh, ruin your day. Remember movie theaters? Yeah, that was, that was awesome. When, yeah. when I used to go at 11 a.m. and go see Coco by myself on like, <laughs> a Friday afternoon and just cry.
0: <laughs> All right, on that note, let's go to our next movie. Uh,
2: <laughs> the next one was a, a Nate
0: suggestion.
3: Was this your personal favorite, Nate? I think this is a personal favorite. Yeah. So and I get uh, it. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> Chris on the right side of history. Uh, <laughs> uh, a little
0: spoiler for how I feel about this movie.
3: Um, the Wackness uh, was a 2008 movie um, by Jonathan Levine. It is a starring Josh Peck of um, some various Nickelodeon shows. Uh, Drake <laughs> and Josh, I believe was his, was his <laughs> highlight prior to this. Um, ben Kingsley of numerous highlights, um, but none higher than Iron Man Three,
2: uh, <laughs> as I guess the the Mandarin maybe the
3: Mandarin ish. Yeah. Um, uh, it has uh, Olivia Thrilby um, as the love interest, um, Famke Jameson, uh, Janison. Sorry, I always call her Jameson. I've I've always messed that up. She'll uh, she'll
2: pop up in a in a later movie that uh, I will be recommending
3: fantastic um is it GoldenEye?
2: no it is rounders
3: <laughs> oh perfect um uh and uh mary kate olsen makes an appearance in this in this movie a very tell, tell them what
2: her name is tell her them what her name, union,
3: name is union and that <laughs> will be one of the reasons that zach doesn't like this
2: movie uh <laughs> strong prediction
3: there yeah right <laughs> uh the Wackness is a movie about a drug dealer in new york in uh the early 90s i believe 94 um and it's a uh, so Josh Peck plays a, a young high school senior um, or or high school graduate. It's sort of the summer post mm-hmm. uh, high school. Uh, you see his graduation at the at the opening of the movie, um, and he is a weed dealer who um, deals weed to uh, Doctor Squires, played by uh, Ben Kingsley. Uh, in exchange for therapy sessions, uh, among other people who he deals weed to. And it's sort of about him navigating that sort of post-high school, um, pre-college moment in his uh, adolescence, um, starting to figure out his relationship to women, starting to figure out his uh, mental health, starting to figure out uh, how to navigate friendships and how to navigate his sort of social standing, um, navigating his relationship with his family as they're dealing with financial struggles. and all of this sort of backlit by the hip-hop of that era. Um, he is a, an, an avowed hip-hop fan who uh, gets put on very early uh, to Biggie. Um, and, and sort of within the first 15 minutes of the, the movie is uh, sort of given the the initial tape of ready to die as like his entrance into this this stuff and so which is gold
2: um, if you're holding on to that
3: it, yeah that's pretty that's mm-hmm. that solves your money problems right there um uh and so it, and so the whole movie sort of follows his um, it's a coming of age story in terms of his relationship with Olivia, uh, Thurlby, who is the stepdaughter of Doctor Squires, and also his relationship with Doctor Squires, which um, violates many sort of patient relationship. The legality is is deeply in question, um, and sort of follows them throughout that summer and, and how everything pans out. Um, this is a movie I found in college, so it was it was kind of prime time to for this type of story and for feeling like this type of story was really relevant. Um, uh, and that says probably as much about me as it does about the movie. Um, but uh, it's been a long-standing sort of favorite that I, I can always sort of come back to as a movie that's both like feel good, but also feels profound enough, but also um, is an easy enough watch that it doesn't feel like it's really challenging, uh, anything too deep. Um,
2: yeah, so that so, was... Uh,
3: oh, I don't I don't want to overlook Method Man. Method Man is a key role in this movie. He um, made
2: acting choices, which is
3: something he, Method
2: Man he, should never do unless he makes many a job. specific uh, was, acting choice. <laughs> uh,
3: so, yeah, I, I would love to hear uh, where I, y'all are at. I,
0: I think your last sentence is the reason why I didn't like it all that much, which is that it tries to be two things and ends up being neither. Um it tries to be this like really real coming of age movie about someone struggling with you know where they are and then it's also this kind of like fun hip hop movie where you know that summer vibe and you know the music of that era is you know so incredibly ingrained in new york city in that time and it it that works perfectly but i just don't think it amounts to all that much i think a lot of the themes are kind of pretty shallow i think the relationship with his family is is just really underwritten. It's just like he deals weed and they don't like it. You know, there's really nothing to that. You know, he doesn't ever have a meaningful conversation with either of them. Um, they, I would they
2: just... say, I would say at the at any point where he is talking to his dad about like becoming an adult and paying the rent for his family is a meaningful conversation but
0: But
3: his dad doesn't respond to that he just kind of is
2: no and that's part of it though right
3: i would i would argue that that's i i think part of i i I don't want to step too much on on your takes on this but i think that um i I think that divorcing a little bit of um what you think would be the ideal relationship with the family, or the ideal resolution of the family, from um, what the reality of some family relationships are? It's possible that his relationship with his family doesn't have any depth, and that's a reality for some people. And so, it felt like for me in watching this, like the realization that the relationships that do have depth are like his relationship with Doctor Squires, even in in the face of like you thinking that it's going to be his relationship with the daughter, you think it's gonna with Steph, you think it's gonna be um maybe that there's gonna be some resolution with the family and at the end of it, there's not really resolution in terms of what comes out of it other than this sort of acceptance of the um the the state of things, the acceptance that he is gonna have to move to Jersey, spoilers. Um I guess. Uh you know You can't um, really
0: spoil this movie.
3: Right, totally. It's because because again, it's it's similar to some other movies that have been on our list. There's an element of it that's kind of just a vibe, yeah. um, but
0: but for I me I that I,
3: yeah, sorry, I don't want to cut you off.
0: I, no, no, I no, like the vibe. Yeah. I didn't like basically any of the plot structure. Um, you know, when they, I, I thought the relationship of um of who was it, Luke and Steph was really good, like the way they played off each other and the way that um, uh, Dr. Squires and uh, I'm very clearly looking up these names as I'm trying to read this off, which is uh, just great podcasting. Because
2: you weren't here for uh, Nate's synopsis of it. (laughs) um, Luke and Dr. Squires,
0: I thought both of those were pretty good, but I thought that everything that tried to expand on that was pretty sloppily done. You know, it's Dr. Squire's relationship with his wife was just, like, classic guy and, you know, rich dude who doesn't get along with his wife, the end. You know, I thought that the uh, relationship of um, Luke and his parents was kind of just nothing as well. You know, he's unliked at school for no reason, you know?
3: I can it, think of some reasons, but...
0: <laughs> it it just didn't go into... I don't know. It wasn't full enough for me to really enjoy it. The the parts I did like were the two main relationships in the movie, and I thought those worked super well, but outside of that, I didn't like anything it did.
2: Okay, Zach, not everything can be a deep emotional character drama like you want it to be. Um, I mean, nothing can be full You know, like rush in. Suspiria... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my my relationship to this movie was I was about to go to bed and my roommate was like, are we watching another movie? And I was like, all right, I guess so. And so we threw this one on and I had never even heard of it before Nate suggested it. And like I like to do with in the rare case that there's a film that I've never heard of that someone else suggests to me. I go in completely cold. <laughs> in no the rare primer. case that
0: I don't know about this movie already.
2: Well, to be fair, Zach, you've had some issues suggesting movies for me that only my seen, guilty pleasures that I hadn't <laughs> seen, let alone heard of. And uh, having this movie open with '90s hip hop and Josh from Drake and Josh going to talk to. Sir Ben Kingsley. <laughs> <Was> Gandhi himself. <laughs> yeah, p- problematic in its own way, but.
3: Uh, <laughs> On the list of things that have aged poorly.
2: Yeah. Um, White was Gandhi not is one of them. <laughs> was, was not expecting that to happen. And the rest um,
4: are fools rush in.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. But I, I did find... So I, I would say the closest parallel to me on like how I feel about this movie, which may speak to how divisive it is, is Garden State, where not necessarily plot-wise, it's not, not really the same thing, but it's uh, kind of a story of a first love, I guess, and at the same time, it's someone coping with their own depression issues. Meanwhile, with this kind of... Not just this musical soundtrack that accompanies the movie it's one that just kind of drives the film and it's it, it creates the vibe of the, of the whole film and, and that's kind of where I draw those parallels and I, I really like Garden State and a lot of people really hate it so I mean I, like I kind of have, have the same feeling where like I don't know you, you could like this movie you could not and and, and in, in another way though it's it's a very fun like odd couple friendship movie where um, yeah I'll, I'll probably suggest in, in future weeks that you guys watch Harold and Maude, but... Uh, Homeward yeah, bound. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> just just having, like... Uh, and as someone also who has uh, friendships with people who are nowhere near my age, and, and it's just, like, fun finding common ground with people who have no real similarities to you um, and have, like, wildly different experiences, so... So those were the good
0: parts of the movie. I totally agree with you. Um, I think that, A, scenes where there's Academy Award winner Ben Kingsley and uh, Josh Peck are a little unevenly acted. Um, I thought
3: he did admirably. I, I was a big fan of Josh Peck in this, and also, obviously, that is uh, out of balance. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: I noticed it pretty... He, he didn't do poorly, but just, like, everyone else is a better actor than him in this movie
3: everyone else I would I would disagree with that but I I understand especially when you are focusing on the two-hander yeah. of him and Ben Kingsley like the moment when he goes peace out Dr. Squires and Ben Kingsley is crying into his hands yeah. and just kind of goes peace out Luke and then goes back <laughs> is one of the best moments in the movie and it's so it's just this tiny Action that Ben Kingsley has so much command over, and it's the same line, and the delivery yeah. of it is so, uh, so uh, the the ability to deliver that line in such a commanding way, um, is is the real testament to think uh, yeah. Ben Kingsley. It, so it for I me will say, reason, say it's more a testament to Ben. Yeah, sorry, I will
2: say his, his, yeah, no, will no, say no, his New York and his New York accent kind of. <laughs> I didn't read of,
3: that as a I I and again I I was watching this, assuming that he is supposed to be a character not from New York originally. No, that, is, is. that is definitively an accent that is definitively not from New York. <laughs> there's no, there's no read on that. That is like, Oh, it's Queens. Like <laughs> you can't spin that.
2: I assumed it was an attempt at some kind of New York accent. That was I would very fucking uneven. hope not. Uh, I don't know. It takes place in New York and it's a movie that I've, Assume that he assumed not a lot of people were going to see, so why not go for it? <laughs>
0: uh, also, my one last nitpick: uh, I really hated the color palette of this movie. I, I yeah. get, I get that it's supposed to be mid-nineties New York and beaten down and all that, but they just the scenes on the beach, especially in Fire Island, were my least favorite. You know, it's that muted sand color where it's supposed to be,
2: you know, edgy. Just but regular just, sand.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but it it just doesn't, it just looks ugly. Like, it just looked ugly on my screen. Um, and when you can have such a vibrant thing like New York City in the 90s, but you, the way you go about it is by turning all the saturation off, I just don't like to look at that. So,
3: yeah. Totally, totally get that. Especially on this watch, I think that's like something that, as a, um, as I've watched more movies over the years and paid more attention to those aspects of it, that, that was something that jarred me more on this
2: watch, and it definitely. You is. I mean, you don't love earth tones. Yeah it's, right. So it's, it's I love the,
3: exclusively earth tones. Yeah, I mean it's and it like made the, waves very hard to watch. <laughs>
0: it's the very early Marvel fight scenes, you know, where everything is grayscale and muted
2: too. That was the exact uh, movie I was going to compare this one to. <laughs> 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 that's a good. That's a good setup. Uh, just connectivity between
3: Zach having bad takes about Marvel movies and about the blackness, So it's good. Perfect. True. I think with that we can transition to our next. Our next uh, film, and it's probably time to welcome in our uh, our fourth host, Ivy Alcott. Hi, Ivy. She can't hear us yet.
1: Hello. Uh,
0: Hello? We are we are about to talk about the uh, movie. I think we all one of the three movies we all liked. Uh, Michael we... no, so four, four Michael Clayton.
1: Ugh. Yes, <laughs> Michael Clayton was. Not my favorite. Okay, <laughs> never mind.
2: <laughs> oh, that was perfectly set up. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and give that a big clap so I can uh, cut that for the cold open. <laughs> yeah.
0: As soon as Ivy comes in, the cold o- cold open happens. Oh my
2: god. Gold.
0: So that was Nate's suggestion, wasn't
2: it? Yes. Yes. Um, He had been teasing it for for a little while because we had been talking about specifically uh, a lot of Brad Pitt and George Clooney um, around Ocean's Eleven, Out of Sight, and among other things. Um, So I I was excited to see it because I did mention that my my Clooney-verse was, uh, man, that kind of works. I like that, the Clooney-verse cluniverse cluniverse
0: you're definitely the first uh, one to ever think of that
2: well (laughs) fucking trademark it then (laughs) uh yeah so i I had never seen out of sight i had never seen michael clayton so it was really good to get those two installments and i really enjoyed both of them um yeah i don't i don't so this is another one that i didn't know anything about going into uh didn't know it was about lawyers, didn't know if it was about conspiracies, like corporate conspiracies and stuff. No, spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen it, but we're going to talk about it. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, just broad strokes, my favorite thing about this movie was that, one, not knowing anything about it, you're kind of learning about the things that are happening in this conspiracy concurrently with the main character learning these things you get some background on like okay this guy was murdered by a corporation but he finds out about like the potential that this happened shortly after and but also you don't know a lot about this guy michael clayton like you keep hearing references of like people researching him like doing background research and they're like who is this guy like he he went to this school he went to this school uh he, he was a trial lawyer for a while and now he just does like tax law or something like that I don't, and there's this confusion about what he does and it, he's like he refers to himself as a bag man and uh, a cleanup guy and you kind of you don't really know who this guy is the whole movie and you're kind of just learning morally where he is throughout the film and you get these little glimpses into his personal life and and how he has this uh gambling issue he lost a lot of money trying to buy a bar um and it's really cool seeing how those things influence his decisions going forward and how like he's not a great guy but he definitely has this i don't know moral ambiguity where you don't really know what he's about and what it, all leading to a final kind of confluence at the end where you don't really know what's going to happen and it's kind it's kind of cool yeah so uh
3: one of the things that I I really love about um, Michael Clayton is that, uh, and I think this is intertwined with what you were you were saying, Chris. But um, so again, it's it's the it's the story of the titular Michael Clayton, played by George Clooney. It's a Tony Gil- Gilroy film, um, and unlike many character studies, um, Michael Clayton is neither like an exceptional hero nor is he an exceptional fuck up like he's he's not a good guy he is but he's not yeah he he is right he um, clearly has flaws as a human but he's not catastrophically flawed he's not like his gambling addiction has not destroyed his life and is not the constant thing that is um, derailing him. And conversely, he doesn't have this particular set of skills that allows him to <laughs> escape any uh, impediment that comes his way. He exists, and he gets called in for certain things that he excels at, and then other things he's unable to dig out of. And he's constantly in this in-between, and you can see moments where he's really good at doing the thing he needs to do, but he's not amazing at it. He's not the best there's ever been at it. And, and so you're just living with Michael Clayton, the character and and you're you're following him and you're seeing him getting completely sort of derailed by something that comes his way and finding his way back to it and dealing with it and then ultimately again pseudo spoilers for the end sort of winning the the final battle with the the uh, antagonist of the movie and then getting in a cab and driving away and being mm. deeply unhappy and unsatisfied with yeah. the conclusion mm. and that it it's this perfect encapsulation of this person who is just they just exist they just they can do so much they can succeed so much they can lose so much and it's never going to get them out of the middle ground of whatever sorry existence they have um and and that you can sort of inject into that the excitement of the sort of 70s and 80s um, narratives of you know having a car bomb go off and having a, a massive conspiracy happen and having people murdered, but it never really the the you never rise to the pulse never gets too high the pulse never gets too low it stays in this middle ground of like it stays crazy. at
0: fifty five miles an hour <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: but in a way that a that movie that me, I will <laughs> reference later <laughs> to me in a way that's really compelling that allows the narrative really to drive and allows um Clooney to really work with his uh, with with that character and to really sort of like take that character in a lot of different directions that are that are really um effective. So yeah, so, so well, I, have I have a quick okay. question.
0: I have a quick question. Ivy, do you like movies? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ivy not making really. faces.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Ivy
2: making faces during that whole explanation was one of my favorite things.
1: Uh, For all
3: you listeners out there. <laughs>
1: Here's the thing. I know too many people in my real life who are 55 miles per hour people. And so why do I want to watch a movie about one?
3: Because Ivy lives her life a quarter mile at a time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can
3: drink movie. anything as That's, long as
2: it's Corona. Um, <laughs> it's, it's,
0: uh, I, so yeah. I, I enjoyed this movie. It, it's definitely rough like it needs another script edit. Like someone needs to go through again w- one more time and be like, "All right, do we really need all of this stuff about, you know, the his law firm of shit?"
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, do we do we need all this, you know? Um but as far as a George Clooney kind of being just his head above water kind of guy, really enjoyed it. Tilda Swinton is always great. You know, she plays that neuroses person so well. Um, on edge at all times. You know, I mean, the scenes of her rehearsing her lines and then giving them to the interviewer is just so good. Absolutely. Um, and it, it ends with such a great speech, you know, by far the best part of the movie um, for me. But it just like, it's one of those movies that kind of caps out at a. This was. Very good. It's not. It can never be incredible, but it was very good.
2: Yes, yeah, so I. Two quick things. One, uh, Soderbergh directed. It wasn't distractingly Soderberghian. Uh, as, not Soderbergh directed. Tony Gilroy. Oh, yeah. sorry. Uh, sorry. I saw Soderbergh on the credits. Was he producer?
3: I'm assuming. He may have been, um, or maybe writing. Maybe
2: let's see. I was huh. gonna say, like this. This movie was not Soderberghian.
3: Well, that, it's true. It was not Soderberghian. Let's see. I'm not seeing Soderberg. Huh.
2: Hmm. Maybe I made that up.
3: Probably.
0: Um, this is one of those movies that I don't know how it actually gets made because there's no like. Elevator pitch for it in he's Hollywood at all? It's yeah, just like George Clooney. Um, I guess is a guy that does, does stuff and like Maybe he's
2: caught up in something bigger. But
3: twenty, it's it's really Wait, not that you're,
2: much. You're telling me that George Clooney is all right at his job. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, what does he like? What does he do? Well, yeah, like, he he, he gets he gets a job and then he like. Kind of fucks really, up a little bit. Doesn't really do it well, and uh, well, actually, kind of fails at it, and then uh, I guess gets lucky. But yeah,
1: well. yeah. I I finished the movie, and I I feel like I turned to Nate and was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> was that a movie? Like, wha- <laughs> What's the point of it? Like, wh- Ivy,
2: you haven't seen Tree of Life, so."
1: You oh my experience. God!
2: Was that a movie? Ivy <laughs>
1: for my I would for my
0: thirtieth birthday that is coming up. That is my birthday gift.
2: I just want to do a whole podcast with <laughs> Ivy reacting to watching the Tree of Life.
1: What well, we're gonna do, do, do a we'll live. Stream it. we'll on it it'll be a live. It'll be
2: a live reaction. We'll set up mics
3: while watching the Tree of Life. Uh, oh um,
1: my God!
0: So this is one of those movies that I think is just like squarely good. I think it has one of the best um, like final monologues that George Clooney has ever given and the ending is actually pretty satisfying for what the story is Like, it, it makes sense perfectly I can understand how that's not a satisfying conclusion as a whole but it's satisfying for the character um, and it was one of those that I like oh I wish I'd watched that earlier but i don't think i'd recommend it to many people other than like this core group
4: Mm -hmm. you know i would recommend
0: it it, but it's not the first thing that would jump to mind to be like oh you know what i haven't you know you should see michael clayton Mm.
2: (laughs) i disagree i i really liked it i thought it was i thought it was really interesting there was there was like a middle portion where i was like i don't know where this is going and i'm not sure if i do like this but definitely with the conclusion so spoiler the hit, alert the
0: hitman got a little much for me
2: spoiler spoiler alert i have this as my my top film of the of the records oh. um
1: this was your number one yeah Same. this is my number one. Oh this my, my number god two. this group was so bad of <laughs> this group of movies if michael clayton is our number one
3: yeah
2: it's, to be it, clear it's michael tough... clayton is high on my list of of all of them. it's my number two So I think one of my favorite things, though, is uh, we've alluded to this. Zach, especially, is that uh, George Clooney in this movie is not his like always his suave George Clooney. He's he gets to play that in pieces, but I don't know if I've ever seen a movie where it's you either get George Clooney being like bug eyed, like doesn't know what's going on, like burn after reading George Clooney. Or you get, like, Ocean's Eleven, Danny Ocean, George yeah. Clooney, where he's, like, always in control, just very smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is neither; This is a very middle-of-the-road George Clooney, and it was interesting seeing him yeah. have to have these moments of uh, ineptitude. and Yeah, okay, Zach, we'll move this along. Uh, yeah, we and... only have
0: 12 more movies to get to.
2: Well, Wait, I, th- I think it'll be easier to not talk about some of them. No, because I think we're going to yell ones. at
0: each other about a couple of them. I
2: guess that's fair. Um, um, yeah, so George George Clooney was really good in this movie. I really liked it. Also, Michael O'Keefe making his first appearance in a movie that I've seen since Caddyshack. It was great. Uh, Ivy, you suggested a great movie, Searching Thank for Sugar you very Man.
1: much. I did. And what did you think about it, Zach? So...
0: It's one of those very small documentaries that I like where it doesn't really it, it doesn't have like a bigger purpose it's not trying to like take down anything or like prove anything bigger it's just telling a small story um, and I had really never heard of this um, of Rodrigo before this Yeah,
1: um,
0: and Rodriguez, Rodriguez, Rodriguez. sorry Uh, Rodriguez before this, and...
1: Case in point.
0: Exactly. Uh, While I was watching, I was like... Usually when they cut in music of these, like, this guy never amounted to anything, and then it was incredible. I was like, okay, this song is kind of fine. When I listened to it, I was like, no, this guy's fucking incredible.
1: So good.
0: Like, every song that they played, I wanted them to just keep it going longer.
1: Me too. Um,
0: And... Go ahead, Chris.
2: Well, v- very high praise, like initially heaped on him. Like the first thing said in the documentary is like there were two guys writing songs like this, like with that level of lyricism, and it was Bob Dylan and Rodriguez. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's tough to live up to. <laughs> yeah. And then
3: they said, st-
4: <laughs> and, and shortly after, playing.
3: shortly after, there's a producer who's talking about him, and he goes, Bob Dylan, no, Bob Dylan didn't have anything on him. Bob Dylan was living <laughs> in his shadow. And 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 exactly, it's the type of thing of like you could have all those people saying it, but then you hear it, and it it's true. Yeah, it's so good. And I loved there was a lot of sort of like uh, low key sort of shit talk at a lot of artists, like very yeah. very subtle. You know, you'd have someone say uh, the, the the producer who used to work with the Motown, or the guy who was the head of one of the the chairman of Motown, who says. Yeah, Rodriguez, I'd have to say he's in my top five artists I've ever worked with and then it shows a list of yeah, artists yeah. who he's worked with and it's more than five and they're all more famous. And that was a tough break because you gotta do the math on who gets the bump out yeah. of that list. Yes. I like,
1: Zach, how you described it as a as a small documentary and there were so many parts of it that were that were really small but made you think a lot. Like, I think it's the... The movie i thought about the most which by the way is like not saying a lot because the movies were so (laughs) bad did you you watch (laughs) waves ivy no i didn't watch it
2: okay Uh, the only at this point i don't have i don't have enough of a read on your taste in movies to know oh i I got no fucking clue it's it's very it's very good
1: Nate um, says I would hate it. I don't
3: think you, I don't think you'd like it. But so, maybe. so
1: But let me tell you, this one though had so many interesting like um psychologies behind it. Like what what the end of the movie. It's like, "Wait a minute, he he still decides, lives in that shack?" Yeah. He still lives in that shack. He does the 30 concerts, but he donates all the money. He has this kind of like something going on with him psychologically that you can't quite figure out. They don't really touch on it. Is it like? Is that because of his standing in life? Is that just how who he is? Does he is he like other famous people who are just like weird and like kind of genius in this like off kind of way? The yeah, you made a
3: really good point that that he reads like a person who is much more famous than he is, and that that opens up a whole interesting conversation about okay, are people who you see who are famous like that? is that a signal of their genius and that many of those people end up being famous and that's why we associate fame with that type of persona right. or is it that it's it's something else where it's exposure to that lifestyle causes that type of thing but he just it did, didn't take
4: exactly you know? and
3: it's interesting to think about that Chicken when or you egg. have someone who if you had a different documentary and his interview segments but in the documentary of an artist who had, had what could have been his career, had he been famous earlier, you would have thought that it was any other famous person. You know, like that, it really does, sort of that that genius artist mentality really sort of applies. I mean, one of the weirdest things about this documentary
0: is, usually when you have these singular focused ones, where it's about an artist, a band, or whatever, the interviews with that person are so crucial to the narrative, and... (laughs) Rodriguez just isn't going to give you that. He is he such gives you a. Nothing. He he. It's nothing, and I mean, at, at some point, I think that's a little detrimental to the film because it's hard to create an actual story about it. For um, sure, it is, yeah, yeah. But the fact that they were able to create this like incredible documentary without really any input from the
2: actual artist
0: is so
2: Crazy. impressive. Hells yeah, how good the story is, and and that yeah. was so I. I texted you guys after I watched this, and I. I was just like this is one of the most unbelievable stories I've ever heard mm-hmm. and that's why it only works as a documentary because you can't you can't make a feature film about this cuz people are like nah it doesn't work cuz yeah. like I would never you would never believe that this oh, guy yeah. who made two albums in the United States in Detroit became famous in South Africa like that's not a thing that like yeah. I you would think this is something that we had all heard of. Like, I, I yeah. think this was an Oscar winning documentary and I had heard it was, of this documentary. it was. Um, and it, like, it's a widely acclaimed documentary, but I, I'd, I'd never heard the story behind it. And I, for a very long time, wanted to see it cause I'd always heard it was good. Um, and I, I think I very recently had it spoiled for me, which kind of sucks because someone referenced it like r- right before Ivy recommended it for this and kind of told the story of it so you kind of lose and and we're spoiling it right now for everybody who hasn't seen it but uh you kind of lose the like weird little stops on the way where oh this guy's dead like you're (laughs) that's (laughs) that's crazy like i like if you think he's dead for the whole documentary you're like kind of like oh okay Like, this is an an interesting story. And then you find out, oh, like, he's actually alive. And all these stories about him killing himself on stage or whatever have been fabricated. And not only is he alive, but they found him in...
0: They found him. I repeat, they found him.
2: Through the, kind of the advent of the internet. And brought him to South Africa to play a bunch of shows. And it, like... Uh, spoiler this is the only movie I cried at uh, during the whole the whole run
1: yeah Um, that's the part I cried at too when he arrived very
2: very emotional moment when the show is his first Mm -hmm. his first show and he doesn't really know how to act for a little bit and then he just goes right back into it oh absolutely which is crazy because for the whole the whole film you kind of get this idea that this guy is very shy very reserved and uh, I was personally like made uncomfortable by the fact that he was going to have to go play this big show and I'm like oh I don't because it's played the whole movie is like okay well he early on is described as playing with his back to the to the audience yeah. and, it's, and it's not even at big shows it's it's at these little clubs where people are sitting at tables and kind of watching him in the back of the bar and he gets up on this stage in South Africa and he's just a natural yeah.
0: and Oh, good.
2: He, he's just so gracious, and uh, and uh, th- that brought out a lot of emotion in me. Where I was just like, wow, uh, pretty incredible.
3: Yeah, I do wonder how the movie would have played because I, I also I think just by virtue of I don't remember it being specifically spoiled for me. I just know that I knew he was alive, and I don't know whether that may have been in a trailer at some point. I, I just I mean, he, that, he's he's on the yeah. cover. Like modern him is on the like cover. Right. Of the, yeah. Right, exactly. So it, you know, so that that was out there. I wonder if that was more of a mystery. Whether the opening, sort of thirty to forty minutes, there, there's there's a you know there's an introductory portion of this before you really get into the meat of like they're looking for him or they're looking for uh, where he died or how he died. Um, that 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 first introductory portion was the part that felt like a little bit of a slog for me. It didn't it wasn't fully into the, the act of searching for him and it wasn't enough sort of establishment in a way that was was really engaging. Um, and then once it hits that moment where you start really looking for him and they're, they're trying to solve how he died and they're trying to solve the details of it and then you get to the reveal that he's not dead is a really effective thing. I wonder if I had no idea about that reveal whether those opening moments would have been more effective. Um mm-hmm. But but as it is, I think that was the thing that held me back with this movie just just slightly, and I really did like it. But that was the moments where there's a there's a decent amount of sort of scene setting that that felt a slow. little slow, yeah, in a way um, that I think just could have been a it little padded, more padded,
0: a, a little yeah. padded. And I think that's a yeah, lot right. of it because you you couldn't get a good interview out of him,
3: yeah. Right. Although I would say his interviews, while while not not, the most not terrible, but were great in terms of like once you were at the part of the movie where the point is getting the picture of him I think they were wonderful because it's a very clear and and, uh, Ivy and I were talking a lot about this when we were watching but just like reading his body language in those moments, reading the way that he is psychologically sort of processing those interviews and what he's capable of giving and what he's not capable of giving was really interesting. Not as interesting if you rely on that for the course of the whole movie because he's not going to give much but just as a view into him as a person I think is really Hundred percent. So, yeah, it, it, hmm. Ivy. Thanks
0: for one of the very few good movies to be suggested yes. during this uh, during <laughs>
2: Thank this you round. Very much. Uh, now, let's small light in the darkness. Uh, now let's get into some shitty movies.
1: Oh no! Here
2: we go, uh, baby. Okay. So we
0: I broke these out into three different sections. We have our shitty modern action movies. It's we not have,
2: shitty. It's just not how, good. How dare you? Yeah,
1: they're great. <laughs>
0: Uh, we have our shitty old movies, and Definitely we have true. our shitty <laughs> Fools shitty. Rush In slash timeline movies
1: <laughs> <So laughs> that don't
0: fit into in either other
4: category. That you're grouping those, but sure. Yes,
2: there's no reason to put those two movies together. <laughs> they belong in completely different categories.
0: Um, so I think we should start because I think the Alcott munshine household uh, suggested both of the shitty modern action movies. Uh, with a with a talk about both the Equalizer and the Commuter because they're the same shitty movie,
2: fulfilling both our Denzel Washington quota and our train movie quota. So,
0: <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, can you please uh, justify yourselves?
4: <laughs> Absolutely.
3: <laughs> uh, go watch the Equalizer and the Commuter, and we will be justified. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the Equalizer and The Commuter the, are a movie about... Um, let me tell you. Let me tell
4: you.
1: The Equalizer is the exact opposite of Michael Clayton. He is someone who is yeah, of so good. good at what he does. His purpose is so clear. Unlike Michael Clayton, like, who are you? Who would
4: want is
0: nuance it? in a movie? <laughs> is yeah. his purpose clear?
1: And <laughs>
3: yes, kill
0: Russian pimps. Yeah, he's, he's the Robin Hood of murderers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's the Robin Hood of murderers, and I love a vigilante so much. We, we do love vigilantes. I lo- in we stand
3: a vigilante in the <laughs> Cop Munshine household.
1: And let me just say, Denzel, nothing wrong with him. <laughs>
2: The the only thing wrong with him is that he didn't try to do a Boston accent in this movie. How dare an actor, especially an, an actor as esteemed as Denzel Washington, not make the Hail Mary attempt at a Boston accent in a Boston da- movie.
0: David Harbour put one up from 45 feet trying to do a Boston accent <laughs> <laughs> and fails
2: horrendously. Uh. Yeah, he's pretty much the only one who really gave it a go, and I give him credit for that. But that's the only thing I give him credit for.
3: <laughs> as, as I said in numerous texts, I don't think we can hold him accountable. He was carbon monoxide poisoned by about halfway through this movie, <laughs> and they may have filmed out of order. So I'm just chalking <laughs> up most of his acting noises to that scene. Um, oh, so, so for he, those he, who haven't, he's seen... like
0: a he's like a Tom Cruise where he has to do the stunt for it to <laughs> take. Right.
3: <laughs> for those who haven't seen this movie, um, this is. Uh, uh, an Anton uh, Foucault movie, um, part of their, uh, his numerous collaborations with Denzel, um, in which Denzel plays a retired special ops, or maybe hitman, or maybe in some way governmentally associated I'm glad you also don't know
2: because I don't know.
3: (laughs) No, it's. I mean, it's deliberately obscured. Other than he has ties to. Okay, I missed the part where it was
2: deliberately obscured. I thought I just (laughs) fell asleep during part. No, they just. They just just
3: never. They never lay it out. They laid out a little bit more in the Equalizer Two recommendation coming up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I refuse.
1: Best movie.
3: (laughs) That one, I will say that I liked the Equalizer more than Equalizer Two, and Ivy disagrees with me. Um, I
1: trust Ivy here. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> mostly, <laughs> for,
3: mostly for posterity. <laughs> um, so the the Equalizer is about this uh, retired hitman slash assassin slash government agent. Yes, assassin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, How many whiskeys you at, Nate? This would be well. This cup is probably about seven shots, and I've had two. Um, <laughs> uh,
0: do we need to uh, go to the backstory? I don't think we need well, to go little to bit, any a little of the backstory. Bit, a little bit.
3: A little bit. He is living in Boston and working as a um, a, a worker in Home De- uh, Home Depot-esque establishment. It's Home Depot. Uh, it's and, Home
1: Depot. It's Home
3: Mart. He is, um, <laughs> with the same logo. He's equipped with a very particular set of skills that involve, um, I believe, obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, yeah, and which and is
2: kind of posited as a superpower. As a superpower points. that allows him to <laughs> which, calculate how much time
3: it'll take him to analyze an entire room and then use various things within it to kill lots of people. Um, and he uses these skills to kill many members of the Russian mob, largely because of their um, involvement in the uh, prostitution of, of young women and the abuse. Abuse of those prostitutes which i will posit
2: is probably a better reason for killing russian mobsters than them having killed your dog
1: but Mm, disagree (laughs) disagree Uh, yikes
2: (laughs) one one dog's life which i do value a very high amount versus many young women's lives
0: oh that's our that's our intro (laughs) That is not our (laughs) intro. That is removed from the podcast.
1: Anyway, so so basically, incredible.
0: um, I hated this movie. (laughs) This this was my least favorite movie that I watched out of any of them
3: ever.
1: What? Which is Uh, wild
3: because he also watched Suspiria and (laughs) Fools Rush In.
1: (laughs) Zach, I
0: so I have. I like a good stylized action movie. I think John Wick and John Wick 2 are good movies. I liked both of those. I think this took every aspect of both of those and made everything I liked about them awful. You know, it took the bad guys from, like, super weird Russians to just, like, oh, crooked Boston mob and apparently a Russian guy with, like, devil tattoos.
2: Terrible accent, by the
0: way. Terrible accent. Um, You know... Alfie Allen
2: had him beat for British guy giving Russian performance. It
0: was stylized, but not in a good way. You know, they did the zoom-ins on his eyes, like, every fucking time he did anything. And, you know, he was both, like, he was a Terminator. Like, it was one of those, he is too good to be an actual assassin because they slowed it down like he's a fucking superhero. Like, with John Wick, he's just, like, they fight at normal speed, and it goes, and that works. When you slow it down to, like, 0.05 times, it's like, is this guy just, like, legitimately an alien trying to do
4: this?
0: (laughs) Uh, I I just don't respond to that whatsoever. It, It was as bland and mindless and nothing as any movie I think I've ever watched in my entire life. I'm
2: going okay. to absolutely distance myself from Zach on this one, where I'm somewhere in the middle. I I found it to be an enjoyable watch, but I was very confused for most of the movie. There were some things that, that bothered me, like... I don't, what He has this weird superpower that I guess is OCD. And Is it a superpower? <laughs> I, like Probably like, problematic uh, not a in superpower. some way. Um, and then... Uh, I, honestly, I really hate Chloe Grace, Grace Moretz as an actress, uh, in most cases. I
0: hate Ooh, David she? Harbour as an actor, unless he's in <laughs>
1: Stranger
3: Things. Uh, uh, yeah. she's the prostitute. Um... Yeah.
2: um
1: yeah, record.
2: I mean, uh, she's she's on a similar level of, like, Claire Danes with just, like, bad face acting. Like, I'm not sure what she's <laughs> doing with her face most of the time. Um, How dare you
3: associate anybody with the glory that is Claire Danes and her lower lip acting?
2: Yeah, well, so, Chloe Grace Moretz to me, kind of, not to make this a shitting on Chloe Grace Moretz podcast, but... Um, let me let me was, just
0: say that Chris is currently twirling his mustache as he says this.
2: <laughs> I think I think she was a very good child actress who kind of uh, and and I think this goes for a lot of child actors and child actresses where the ones who are good at acting as children it doesn't translate to adulthood where it just like it becomes very extra and yeah, it just doesn't work for me,
0: you know? She, she was, like, my 50,000th on my list of complaints for this movie.
2: Well, well, and and another complaint I had with the movie is even though I didn't like her performance in it, I didn't like that she was just, like, basically not in the movie at all, even though <laughs> she was the <laughs> the catalyst for most of the events of the movie. Yeah. Um, but I did really enjoy the action sequences and things like that, and I think there were some things there where, like, if you honed in on this, I guess supernatural ability to slow things down and st- press a stopwatch or something and figure out like how he never he never struggled, like, you know, he got shot or he hit got or shot. whatever. He had a tough time in Home Depot. Home Home Depot as battleground was great to me. I really loved so that. Good. I did have an issue with. Uh, getting into a fist fight with a guy and then I guess trying to spatially figure out, like myself, trying to spatially figure out how big Home Depot is where, like, the other other two guys who are not preoccupied with anything else... Listening to this fist fight? Yeah, taking... Like literally real time, like three minutes to cross Home Depot to come and find them. (laughs) Dude,
0: for for me it was when he shot the final guy with a fucking nail gun. Pick up any actual gun from a long ways away,
2: from a long ways away, which is not how nail guns work.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I fucking hated this movie. It, it It is. It is. The exact opposite kind of action movie that I want. It is...
2: Here, I liked my, it more than The Commuter.
1: <laughs> here's my one mean thing I'll say. Zach.
4: <laughs> Go here's on. Here's the thing.
1: <laughs> this is going to be really mean. I'm really I think that, Zach, you are the person who is the most... Um, How do I say this in a nice way? You're not going to say
3: the mean way. Say the mean way. Say (laughs) the mean
2: way.
1: (laughs) Who is the most.
3: Deserving of a sentence to hell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who is the most susceptible to public opinion about what is a good movie and what is a bad movie? And I think that some of the times that is to your detriment because you are unable to see. Beyond what the um, public eye says is a good movie,
0: you realize I suggested fools rush in, right?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that argument breaks
2: down a little bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that that is, for the most part, not totally false. My opinion sure. about
2: it. I, ah. I share your I share your opinion on Zach music wise. That that
0: was never part of this. (laughs) (laughs) No,
2: but while we're while we're attacking Zach, and I I share your opinion on Zach clothing wise. (laughs) Here's the thing: I just want to get a couple of kidney shots in, you know.
1: (laughs) And you know, I love you dearly.
3: She proposed to him earlier tonight. Behind the curtain.
1: (laughs) However, that's my opinion about. You in this movie
3: I think where I think where that'll specifically come back and a less sort of directed at Zach and more acknowledgement of different tastes uh, component of that is one of the themes that'll come up and, and this will return when we get into our discussion specifically of Suspiria is like what you 're prioritizing in the viewing of a movie, how much you 're prioritizing. Um, how much you're prioritizing its influence on other things? How much you're prioritizing sort of the, its place within the history of cinema versus the enjoyability of a single watch of that movie? Versus, I was going to say we're still talking um, about the Equalizer, right? Yeah, yeah no, 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 no. We are we are talking about the, yeah, yeah, right. The, yeah. the Equalizer's place within the canon of uh, of cinema cinematic history, at its holiest and mightiest. Um, but it, it it is the type of thing of like this is a movie that if you walk in with any expectations of Anything of this movie outside of the confines of the watch of this movie, Yeah, that then involves you're going to be disappointed, disregarding many aspects of like reasonable um, understanding of how I don't know time and uh, <laughs> spatial awareness and uh, plot work. Then, then you're not going to have as good a time with
1: this.
2: Oh, and we're going to get into
1: that exact
2: be, thing
3: later.
1: <laughs> and to be to be nicer to you, Zach. Now on a better note. I think I have the opposite problem of of I don't tend to like the movies that are like critically acclaimed because I find them really boring. <laughs> like, she
2: said after suggesting my left foot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> which I'd never seen before. It's yeah. the worst so, movie I've so ever I, seen in my life.
0: <laughs> so I think my, my main issue with this movie is it doesn't try to do anything at all
1: i know but isn't there part of that that you look kind of like like it's just enjoyable
0: like, no but it but for me it's not i can't so for me my so my long-standing issue with the marvel movies like my favorite ones are the ones that try and do something different whether it's like Thor ragnarok or you know black panther or one of those movies where it takes a genre and it tries to do something with it. This one seems yeah. like it just kind of exists to go down the middle of the vigilante action movie with nothing added on. Like,
2: I will I, say, like, sans John Wick being released the same year, a month apart, uh, this probably would have done a little better. It, it makes way less sense than John Wick to me, and it's fleshed out way b- yeah. more poorly, but I think if it's not... If there's not that direct parallel between oh John Wick is so much Vick, better than this then uh, uh, for sure John, absolutely but John I think, Wick like, is better in yes com- in comparison it even further diminishes the yeah. Equalizer because John Wick exists yeah speaking uh, of further diminished because something else exists let's talk about the commuter um,
0: uh, <laughs> starring Florence Pugh and no one else <laughs> yeah, yeah uh,
1: wait the commuter
2: so What's the commuter. This the was, Liam Neeson one. This was Nate's suggestion. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's a Liam Neeson film about a guy who gets on the train uh, and is approached by a woman played by Vera Farmiga who proposes a some sort of deal to him uh, very, very vaguely, and he accepts... Being that he just lost his job very conveniently for the plot of the film, and uh, which I guess is mentioned at the end, so I, I shouldn't, uh, that shouldn't be something that negates the, the whole film. But uh, it turns into him trying to solve a murder on the Orient Express style mystery where he's trying to figure out who the murderer and who the person the murderer is trying to murder is going to be. All while on a train that's like speeding away, and uh, this movie to me is diminished by the existence of both Unstoppable and Speed. And uh, <laughs> I mean, as as In much Murder as I, Express. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as, as much as I enjoy a good uh, a good train caper, uh, this one kind of fell flat for me.
1: Hmm. Fair enough. I like it. I I am a fan of action movies in general. So and and Liam Neeson. So I don't know. Hopefully not as a person. Why is he a sexual assailant? Uh, let's no, let's no, cut the cut let's. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> not
2: there. Just a it, it, wee it, it, bit it.
3: racist. Yeah. Yeah. Has some racist tendencies that have come up.
1: Oh darn it.
3: Yeah.
4: yeah. I hate yeah. finding right. out stuff.
2: Anyway. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll clip that.
3: Yeah, for for me, I, I think Murder on the Orient expresses a good sort of segue into um, one of the reasons that I like this movie and, and other such, Liam Neeson, and other um, associated movies, um, which is, I think that um, with a certain style of sort of puzzle box murder mystery-esque movie, um, there's an expectation of uh, a certain amount of plotting that's already done for you, a certain amount of sort of, uh, you know where twists are going to come, you know um the general construction of the narrative you know that there is going to be someone close to the person who turns out to be the bad guy and it's going to be one of maybe three people who you meet within the first five minutes
2: of the movie and it's
3: she going to be a twist. Chin.
2: Sausage and check off Sam Neill yeah, slash Red out. Herring check. Sam <laughs> Neill. Yeah, exactly.
0: Chris, uh, Chris, how, how uh, much before the ending did I predict the exact ending?
2: Uh, <laughs> like very far ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: so, so, for me, with watching mystery movies like this, and, and obviously there, there are many um, different examples of this, some that are executed much better, even in modern examples like Knives Out, right? Where the construction, even if you could potentially guess the end game before you get there, the construction is sort of much, much wittier, much um, more thoroughly constructed in an interesting and engaging way. This is the dumbed down sort of like C movie version of it. But in a way that, for me, still works because I'm not going into it with some expectations of some highbrow level of cinema. I'm going into it with some level of, okay, I know the basic structure of this. Show me the twist. Give me, like, three funny lines from Liam Neeson and one thing that's basically just a a scene, an outtake from Taken, Uh, and then... And then a cool twist at the end, and I'm probably going to be able to guess it, and it's going to feel great if I guess it right, and if I didn't guess it right, then I'm going to be surprised, and that's all I need from it. And I'm watching this with a different part of my brain than I'm watching, say, Waves yeah. or Michael Clayton or Zodiac, and it's or the one same of part of movies. your brain you're
1: watching. Oh, let, let me exactly. use that
0: part of your brain for one of my movies coming up later. <laughs> uh, no, it's a
1: different it's part a different of my part brain. Of your brain,
3: and we'll get to why, and
1: we'll get to why. Um. <laughs>
3: But wait, it, I, it's about racism. Wait, um. I, have
2: a, I have a question. I have a question for Nate, real quick. Um, do you know who Patrick? Like, did you know who Patrick Wilson was going into this movie? Because in. I've only ever seen him in horror movies.
3: Yeah, so Patrick Wilson, I mean, I, I've seen him in, in a number of different things, but it's usually in some B or C movie. He was in Aquaman as a um, oh. as a bad guy. <laughs> he usually pops up as a guy who seems like he might be an okay guy, but he's definitely a bad guy, and that's usually how it pans out. But I know he's had a run in um, a, a number of a number of horror movies. He's in well. like
2: 90% of the horror movies I watch, which he is was on
3: He was on Girls for, for a minute there. Um, he, he pops up in lots of things. So, yes,
2: I was familiar. With Patrick
3: Wilson oh, he was in um, he was in uh, Watchmen in the original Watchmen. Okay,
2: as, as uh, as Night So okay. I honestly I haven't seen that since theaters. So
0: yeah. So I didn't dislike this movie as much as I thought I would because it's just because it's not as
4: good. If that makes sense.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like it. I'm really excited for Zach to like, f- fucking. Wiggle his way out of this logic here I think this is this all movie... prequel to set up
3: his justification of later movies.
0: <laughs> no no, no, I think this movie knows it's dumb. I think the reason why I didn't like equalizer so much is because Equalizer thought it was so cool um, and it, it thought would it... be right um and this one was like, all right we're, we're setting this on a fucking train and that's the only locale we're gonna get. We're going to kill Mike Ehrmantraut in the first 20 minutes of this movie.
2: Hey, put some respect on Jonathan Banks' name.
0: We're going to put an MTA car on the one train going up and just, if you had talked to literal any human being who has ever lived in New York City, they could have corrected that. And they're like, no, 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 we don't need to spend those $7 (laughs) to correct the plotting
2: of this movie. Um to, to me the the number one least believable thing is that people talk to each other on a commuter yeah. train.
0: Also, there are so many fights that people are like, oh, someone's having a fight over there. That's weird. Oh, did someone pull a gun? Huh. <laughs> That's
3: a Crazy. real. That's that's a real not understanding that that New Yorkers are very skilled at the like anything's going on, you just move cars uh, <laughs> just, except you very, for a
0: gun. Move cars. <laughs> a gun is a very specific.
2: So the thing that I hated most, uh, I think, was instead of having the empty car be a car where the air conditioning wasn't working, uh, not a car it where was just there? a shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, someone took a shit in this car, so, yeah, you don't want to be here.
3: Zach, I think you raised a really good point about the... the, the self-awareness, right? Being in on the joke. And that'll come up in, in I think, future conversations. Yeah. But that really is, I think that is what validates certain types of these movies. And what sort of, so John Wick is an example of, A, I think a much yeah. better made movie. But a movie that so is good. very 100%. in on the joke,
2: especially after the first movie where well, yeah, so, there's no I, we, part of we, John
3: Wick that, that doesn't know
2: the bit. Yeah. right? We did right. we did like a full breakdown of the three John Wick movies. Yeah, at least yeah. yeah did, we don't need to in my enjoyment of them is so directly good. related to how in on the joke each movie is and i think that's yeah. been
3: the same thing with this run of um liam neeson movies where the most successful ones in this style right since he sort of reinvented himself Take, so it's style. what
0: taken taken to commuter uh, the Benning, like non-stop In's. uh um there's one in know. the arctic right He's oh in like, a
2: cold pursuit is yeah. the one yeah um, oh, cold, cold pursuit. God that's damn, the one that that I need. Yeah. I need to watch that. So, cold pursuit is uh, like a fun little backstory. It was originally a Swedish film um, that was remade, shot for shot, uh, as as an American film, as like a joke. And once you know that, I feel like Perfect. you have to watch it. So, I like I feel this need to watch this movie. Yeah.
1: I have to watch it too. Yep. Yeah, like a so-
2: critically derided. Swedish film Perfect. that they decided we're just going to take this shot for shot and not Let's change it. Let's go
0: anything. for it. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's a ton to say about this because this is a movie that if I watched it on a plane, I would have liked a lot more than if I watched it normally.
3: <laughs> you know? Unlike Nonstop, <laughs> the same movie but on a plane, which would not be as good a watch on a plane. Yeah. True. Um, yeah, I think this whole class of movie is. is uh, it, it depends on this. Is where you get into the Martin Scorsese conversation about cinema versus movies, yeah. right? This is a movie. This is you, you put this movie on, and it's a movie, and it's probably great if you're playing poker on your phone at the same mm-hmm. time.
4: Yes, um, so so
3: for me, I want
0: my kind of movie in this genre to go for it, and I think the Equalizer took itself so seriously and tried to be the coolest version of itself and just failed horrendously. <laughs> like, I feel like the commuter's like, we're going to do this only on a train. Like, I don't you know, remember, I, do you remember I, the phone booth, you know? You know? Yeah,
2: so I, br- I brought that up while we were, while we were watching Unstoppable. Uh, it just like these complete bottle episodes of a movie. Just yeah. take a bottle episode of a show and it's a movie now. And somehow I watched Phone Booth, and I didn't hate it. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I don't want to go back and watch it again, but I, I do kind of want to. I am curious to see if I uh, litigated that incorrectly. Cause yeah, I
0: don't know. Hmm. So all right, let's uh, let's shift Moving to some old stuff that we hated. Hey, um, oh boy! All right, so Ivy, yeah. can you explain yourself, please?
1: Yes, so here's the explanation. <laughs> okay, I couldn't think of a movie, and Nate and I were having dinner with my parents, and they said, have you guys seen My Left Foot? And we said, no. And Did Wim do this to us? My mom. Polly. You can blame her. And she said, it's the best movie you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> and- And we said, okay, great. And interestingly
3: enough, she was off by a few.
1: (laughs) So I texted her while we were watching it. And I said, "Uh, why did you do this to us? (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to find the text. Um, And she said, is it bad? Question mark. And I said, Yes, it's terrible. Do you you recommended it? And she said, "Would I like it?" Question mark. Well, you I are your mother. I know. So the point is, she didn't know, and I didn't know, and I think it's the worst of the of all the movies. Oh watched. yeah,
2: this is my bottom ranked of all of the movies we watch for this podcast. It's, um, it's not mine. So it's it's not worth explaining. I don't think anyone. If you haven't watched it already, if you have watched it, I'm sorry. If you haven't watched it already, don't watch it. Um, we don't need, Yeah,
0: we don't need to go into too much yeah.
3: on yeah, this. It's Daniel it's Day Lewis like, does a really great job stealing a role from somebody who has cerebral palsy who could have acted. It yeah, in it's probably. So N- nice bad. job. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> um, it's a lot.
2: Yeah. Uh, if you do watch it, turn on the subtitles because between the whole like Daniel Day lewis of this role and the Irish accents, there's no uh, way uh, to understand yeah. what anyone is saying. Let's um, not even
1: talk about it.
2: Yeah. What, so What I will
3: say is this is a movie that had a significant impact on Irish cinema, and that is, so if you're talking about impact, this put Irish cinema back on the map in a way that was worth noting and does not validate its quality as a movie which is non-existent because so,
0: it's garbage so, so the bad.
3: other thing it did
0: is it showed um triple people in a light where they are both flawed but talented which i don't think existed really before this movie happened um it was a nuanced portrayal which doesn't often happen it showed the struggles um it showed the hardships but i mean it's it's still yeah, just like him, a fucking bizarre time out. capsule he, he
3: doesn't come out being um yeah. a, a fully glorified and you know wins over his wife by like yeah. browbeating her and is yeah. like not great so yeah we um, hated it yeah it was a really tough watch and we would not recommend it yeah yeah uh,
2: classic i will never watch that again movie yeah right, next uh, uh next, next film uh the 1973 version of Westworld penned by one Michael Crichton um was not based on a novel this was just a script that he wrote um and kind of a cheat because he used the exact same plot for jurassic park <laughs> later on because um, he was like well i guess people didn't really see this one so uh let's go ahead it's 20 years later we can go ahead and give uh, jurassic park a, a go um, brenner plays a raptor <laughs> yeah. Um, if you've ever seen the show Westworld, this is better. Um, it's. I, I think the only thing that I don't uh, that this movie. I, whoa, whoa, Ivy. Whoa, whoa.
0: The yeah. only thing I don't think whatever sentence you're gonna th- say can start with the only thing.
2: No, I well, so the, I think the only thing holding this movie back is that it was made in 1973. Um, I think if you. I I, think know, make, I
1: hate old movies. Uh, I mean
0: the pacing is pretty terrible um,
1: it's so bad I would say I,
3: I so my take watching this movie is um, I felt like it's the type of movie that would have been better as a TV show for one season at which point it would have gone off the rails and been terrible for the following two seasons and they would have and they did it, it for a subsequent five seasons so yeah congratulations to no one um, this was a this was a it's Fun, thoughtless watch for me. Yes, Um, hundred percent. Moments got it. Were that were nice. Um, It it had a vibe, especially early on, that was great. It had plotting that made no fucking sense. Um, Apparently, character development was not a a thing that we were concerned with in the seventies. No. Apparently, sex in the seventies involved rolling back and forth while there were (laughs) sort of like (laughs) frame shifts. Um, uh, It. You know, so I, I, it's hard. It's difficult for me to feel like this was a good movie, but it was an enjoyable watch for moments of it, and then something that I totally tuned out from, and then tuned back into, and then tuned out from, and then tuned back into. Um, I thought that the the choice to have it centered on Westworld and Medieval World and Rome World was didn't make plain sense and didn't make a lot of sense. Um, and I get that branding being what it is, like you you name it, you know whatever you think the best is. But it it was sort of evenly distributed between those things, and and didn't have any sort of center piece in terms of where the plotting took place. Um, so that was a little disorienting. Uh, I, I I felt like the earliest moments of like sort of the entry into the park were some of the best, and then I felt like the chase scene sort of through the end was a nice. Segment where it was like, you know, what's sort of going on, and that, and then there was this middle ground where it was just kind of like jumping between characters who you had never actually met before, but you were expected to have some relationship with that didn't really work for me. Um, so, so yeah, it was a uh, you know, of, of the movies, it's higher up my list only because I didn't actively <laughs> dislike it, uh, I just didn't, I, I wasn't engaged with it fully, yeah, um, throughout.
0: I totally agree, totally agree. I watched this movie, I was like, oh, this is a dumb, fun movie. And then thought nothing of it again, so
4: yeah. that so that's
0: it... that's good in, in this uh, okay, sorry,
4: category.
1: I had to go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I didn't really watch it, but I walked in the room, <laughs> and I did not enjoy those couple seconds.
2: Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, but so
1: th- but great thought process on trying. Chris. so <laughs>
2: thank you
0: so something else you didn't like at all well, is <laughs> well i'm
2: well do i get to talk
0: about this movie at all oh no absolutely not
2: well okay i'll, I'll say one thing i i think the killing of its i i guess like ostensible main character uh, pretty early on in the film was pretty cool and i i think uh, so you have, like, your movie star, and then you have your, like, character actor sidekick, and you kill off your movie star, and it becomes this movie about Yul Brynner chasing down this character actor guy. Yeah. Uh, I-, I thought that was a cool choice. Hmm. I liked that. I thought that it was
3: more, that was more about who was cast than it was about the narrative, because I think from the narrative perspective, the sidekick was the centerpiece more than, um, uh, James Brolin, James Brolin, who is obviously the, the better, yeah. known who also
2: looks distractingly
3: like Chris, Christian Bale, yeah. and and also Josh Brolin, um, it's it's yeah. real, yeah, it. um, huh. uh, but so so there, I think that I was waiting for him to become more of a centerpiece, and then he gets killed off, which yeah. is jarring. Um, but I think narratively he wasn't actually the centerpiece. It was really focused on, and I don't. even No, I think know you're that. right. Um, but the, but I still think the framing of it is set up in a way where, like, when you see this movie, it's Yul Brenner and James Brolin as like the centerpieces of it. Um, yeah, and and, that and doesn't really end up being the
2: case. And we'll get to this in the in the next film that Zach is going to transition us to. But I, I think the the kind of like back half of that movie, the the final act, is a really cool like '70s horror movie kind of deal where. You get this looming threat that isn't really in hot pursuit or anything like that. It's it's a very uh, very Halloween esque, very Friday the Thirteenth esque kind of kind of horror movie where it's not an imminent threat that you can get away from this if you if you need to, but for some reason you just can't. And that's kind of one of those uh, the themes that kind of went through all those '70s horror movies, and I thought that was really cool yeah
3: um, I, I did think uh, on the sort of in on the joke meter um, there were moments especially early on when they're sort of outfitting themselves where like some some aggressive banjo music comes in that, that just sort of alleviated any concerns that I had about this movie taking itself too seriously which which helped a little bit in terms of my enjoyment of it where it just it, there were no illusions that this movie was was thinking of itself as sort of high art. Uh, high high cinema, anything along those lines. Like, like it was supposed to be a sort of fun watch. It wasn't supposed to be some some um, massive sort of commentary on um, the state of the world although I think there are there are sort of implications of those things um, in a way that, that lets you just kind of enjoy it at face value. Um, so that there's there's value to that.
0: Yeah so and then four years later, one of the greatest movies of all time was released. And
3: also, that same year, Suspiria came out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Suspiria was my recommendation for the group. Um, I watched this movie for the first time about eight or nine years ago, um, and it was kind of the perfect thing. My roommate at the time put it on around Halloween. We like had a few drinks and watched it, and you know, played it super loud. And it's one of those very classic cult movies where it's super imperfect. The ADR on the actors is just absolutely atrocious. Um, It's very clearly low budget. It very clearly, you know, was made early in this filmmaker's time. But there's something about it, um, at least for me, where the vibe of it is something I just want to, like, like invest in even though the mechanics of it make no sense um and i i think i'm a little bit more than you guys a vibe kind of movie watcher um than uh than the like specific mechanics kind of movie watcher but i think this one at least for me i I don't know i just love the style of it
2: all right, I'll, I'll go ahead on this, I guess. Because um, I
0: know you both hated it.
2: No, I, I didn't. I didn't actually hate it. Um, so I, I hate out it. of the out of the <laughs> yeah, I think we got that. Out of the three of us, I'm the most uh, horror movie enjoyer of, of the of the. Grid. You definitely are, and I, I don't even think it's close. Um, and so, I've seen things that look like this and do it better so it's kind of hard for me to have this kind of face value enjoyment of it even though there are so many things wrong with it and I've seen things that do that campiness better Um, but I I do think there are some very good core things going on here where like the, the idea of being in a situation where you're stuck and no one believes you and you can't really get out of it and there, there are so many things going on where, like, all right, she's being, I, I guess, drugged through the wine and or food and keeps falling asleep at times where uh, her roommate would be giving her, in, like, important information. Um, and knowing that th- things are amiss, but not having the, the agency to tell anyone reliable, like, kind of a fish-out-of-water deal where that there's nowhere to go with this information um especially in the 70s like not having cell phones is a big big deal there um that whole hopelessness is is a very strong theme in a lot of horror movies and it's something that i enjoy the movie itself gave me a lot of nostalgia for other 70s horror movies but more so than me wanting to watch the rest of the movie it made me want to be like oh man remember this other remember Texas Chainsaw Massacre man that movie was sick I don't want to go back and watch that um but yeah I mean there's stuff there and I I see like like aesthetically like it does look good at times there are other times where it looks really shitty and there's effects and things going on where uh, I mean, I feel like they could have done it a little better, even with so, so Chris, if minimal you're saying, effort. If, but if
0: you're saying this about this movie and not about Westworld, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, I
3: don't know what it is. I would disagree. I disagree. with disagree. I don't think that. I don't think that Westworld ever looks. Um, uh, Westworld looks like a movie made in the '70s. It doesn't look under budget. It doesn't look, or, or it, it doesn't look low budget for what it is. It looks w- like well, one it media. was
0: low budget, and one was yeah, uh, well, it, but,
3: but but no, exactly. But that's, that's still a qualitative that thing. matters. Like, we, can, we can we can account for those those aspects of it in terms of the context of the movie, but it doesn't take away from the experience of watching the movie, right? So, so, and I think this is where we get into the the, the conversation that I was mentioning sort of earlier with the the impact of sort of like how much you're valuing uh, the influence of something or its its societal context um on on your judgment of it versus how much you're just valuing sort of like the the product itself and i think there's value to both things for me as someone who is not a horror fan um and also someone who just doesn't value um, when i'm doing sort of like personal rankings of things um oftentimes just will not prioritize like influence quite as highly against the actual sort of product in and of itself um recognizing that you can't fully divorce those things obviously but but just like w- in terms of what um i find the most value in um this movie has bad acting it has uh low budget, very low budget sort of like effects and design and, and stuff um the it's poorly written the plotting is bad the, the, it's often really poorly
2: directed, too.
3: <laughs> right. So it's it's the type of thing of I, I feel like at moments all you're writing off of is, like, interesting lighting choices sometimes and interesting music cues sometimes and the impact that that had on future movies. And so for me, not being as tapped into those future movies, that's not going to carry my enjoyment through the movie and so all I'm left with is a movie that feels like it's failing on a number of fronts and therefore I'm not able to tap into it. That's not negating its influence or its its sort of like positive impact on future movies which I recognize. It just doesn't affect my enjoyment of this specific movie which just didn't do it at all
2: for me. It really did click on any of those things. Do you have a, a background on like what this influenced?
0: Um, I mean this this kind of I don't have anything specific, uh, but this whole genre of totally maximalist color seventies movies was, you know, the Italian horror wave was something that happened after this. You know, there was multiple movies by I I forget the guy's name um, who directed this movie
3: Dario Argento.
0: Dario Argento. He had a. Uh, this was the first in a trilogy of um, horror movies that they produced. And that influenced then American horror movies to come from it. And, you know, I think this is just shot in, like, I don't know. I can't imagine this being any <laughs> any sort of expensive movie other than getting a few floodlights from time to time and, like, bales of wire. Um,
2: but no, they I just think- had those lying around in their wire room. That being just a wire and not being, like, concertina wire or, like, just some kind of wire that would break her skin in some way made me furious. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a room she fell into a bed of wire. Wow, Wow. that's annoying. I can't get out of this.
0: Um, (laughs) No, so I, I guess a lot of it's when I was introduced to it as, like, my first introduction into this genre Um, and then seeing things subsequently rather than coming into it totally blind.
2: Okay, because I I haven't seen anything in particular that seemed to be directly influenced by this, which is interesting because I I do think there are some things to be gleaned from it that would would be really cool. But, um, yeah, I I don't think it was enjoyable enough for me to, to be like, okay, yeah, I mean... I'll, I'll watch that again i, I might like I, to be fair I, that, it's a thing that i might revisit like if i got a group of friends over like you said and just had to have a bunch of people and and throw it on the tv um we're like hey we, you definitely haven't seen this before um, yeah but yeah i mean i, I think the horror genre is full enough of camp that you don't really need to throw that in your i mean necessities
0: it was already thrown in in 1977, so
2: <laughs> Oh, no, I mean like by 1977 yeah. Camp had existed for a decade. <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah.
3: Um not not the movie for me. Um they they were playing pretty fast and loose with those German accents that were definitely Italian.
2: I thought that was an interesting choice. Wait, those were German accents? <laughs> it's
3: it's a it's a German ballet school. <laughs> I didn't
2: realize where it was taking place. Yeah,
3: it's supposed to be a German ballet school. Um, I was trying
2: to figure out the whole film, like, where it was taking place. Europe. Yeah, right. I heard someone reference, like, Austria or Switzerland or something. Yeah, it's supposed to be Germany. Um,
4: Yeah,
3: so, uh, yeah. Not not the movie for me. It was uh, was one 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 of my least favorites of the bunch.
2: So one more thing before we move on. My intention was to watch the... 2018, I think it was 2018. Version I still have not watched that. Yeah. Um. Uh, after it, and I think this movie made me want to watch that less, because I think, like a, a modern version of this doesn't interest me at all.
0: So, so this, so the modern version takes all three of the movies, um, and then encapsulates it into one thing.
2: Interesting.
4: All right maybe so I'll do it.
0: it's a big it's a bigger story. I haven't watched it I haven't watched the other two so i can't i might really speak i might do
2: it. I might do the other two and then do the the last one like during spooky season yeah I'll get um back on that. do you
0: wanna do you wanna end on a good note or a bad note for our movies?
2: well, i mean the let's end on the good note, <laughs> yeah so um my
0: suggestion for my guilty pleasure, which I warned everyone about um very very <laughs> much ahead of time. Was a uh, Fools Rush In, the nineteen ninety whatever um, comedy or rom-com with Matthew Perry and Selma Hayek. It was something that my mom liked to put on as just a nothing thing in the afternoon, um, and I probably watched I don't know ten to fifteen times as I was growing up. Um, and it's not a good movie. Uh, but it's something that I have just seen so much that it's kind of comfort food for me. So going back and revisiting it, it was just like, oh, a lot of this is just pretty blatantly not how people talk today. Uh, But at the same time, it's a rom-com that genuinely touches on topics like racism, abortion, and religion that were not really talked about then. And it was just a movie that, seems so dumb on the surface but doesn't end up like talking about all that much but at least thinks about things which is just very bizarre i don't really know how this script got greenlit cuz it's kind of a mess and like it 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 tries to do so many things
3: yeah i think i think for me that's that's the key thing is that it's um I I don't know that it deals as much with racism and abortion and and religion as much as it has racism and abortion and religion in it. Um, And I think that's a part of the trying to do so many things. It seems like the type of thing where there may have been more going on in the giving them the most possible credit. There may have been more going on in these screenwriters' heads in terms of the topics they wanted to address and contend with than what they actually contended with. Um, and it ended up being more sort of content than existed, right? Like you have racism that's happening, but it's not like there's really any resolution around the racism. Now, related to that, I will say, I. One of Sun the. Sunburns. One of the few things that I liked about. The, yeah, that showed them. Um, one of the few things that I liked about this movie, spoiler alert about my overall opinion about this movie, um, is that I liked that there wasn't some moment of resolution with the parents where, like, they learned not to be racist yeah. because... He just kind of sp- cut them out. Spoiler alert for life, a lot of racist people say racist. It's just kind of the deal. Um, so so on that on that end of it, great. But on the other end, a lot of these things just existed and, and felt peripheral in terms of their um, how much they were being dealt with but felt very central in terms of the absorption of the movie in terms of how much you could watch it and what sort of took up real estate. So seeing some of the, like, pretty heinous shit that was being said about Mexicans and about Mexican-Americans and about... Um, uh, and even beyond that, like, you had you had shots at... Um, like, veiled shots at Japanese people early on. You had veiled shots... At homosexuals, you had like a lot of which, some of which it was just what, how, how those I mean, jokes were playing in the 90s, and I get that. This was what, 94 um, or something 90, like that? Shouts, Shouts to Friends,
2: which was like one of the most homophobic shows that existed at that yeah. time. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, with its, what, two characters of color across its entire run. Um, Charlie and someone. <laughs> yeah, yes. I was going to say,
2: Charlie's the only one I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
3: so, so, to me, it, it ended up being, you know, the type of movie that. And, and not that a, um, a well written movie should. Um, Paolo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Came up with a cycle. <laughs> not that a well written movie should. Um, uh, that that should sort of override inherent racism within it, right? Like, we should obviously contend with that regardless but the fact that this was so badly written didn't even allow you an escape from it (laughs) um so yeah to me it was just it was a very difficult watch from front to back because it was um narratively not engaging and then disorienting and problematic if if you don't
0: have that intro when you're young yeah as like a as a thing, it's like, oh, I'm going back to this right. rather than I'm jumping into this. It's, it's very different.
3: Right, because there's not a foundation that would allow you yeah. to sort of have a grounding in it outside. Grounding of grounding Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> you don't have a foundation of racism, that it's going to be really hard <laughs> to...
0: So, yeah. you know what the, one of the saddest thoughts I had watching this movie? I was like, wow, they didn't make the romantic interest helpless. Wow. good on them. And I was like, yeah. no, <laughs> like I, that's not good on them. That's just yeah, like what a normal you
2: know, thing normal. should be. No, for sure. Um, yeah. Right. No, I, I mean, I, I don't, I also, I stepped out during part of this conversation cause I didn't think it was essential, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume Zach probably brought up that the, this, this movie does deal with some things that weren't necessarily commonplace to talk about in the nineties, like abortion, um, where where i mean there, there's some ambiguity in the middle there where you think that this very catholic woman had an abortion and um has maybe tried to deal with this religiously um and and i thought that was pretty interesting um which is what elevated a little bit for me um from what diminishes it a lot um yeah. But yeah, I mean, other than that, uh, I, I think this movie overall was the one that I spent the most time yelling at the TV, saying people don't talk like that. <laughs> uh, it's a tough script. It's it, like aside from anything problematic, it's just it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's a uh, uh-huh. yeah, and, and I mean that's that's not something like we're not holding this to a high cinematic standard, but if you throw in everything else, it like in full context it's not good no but i mean and, it's something that i watched and this you made when one I was of young. my friends watch this too
0: i didn't make that
2: there there was a tertiary she caught some <laughs> she caught some flack from that <laughs> <laughs> all right
0: i will accept that
2: All right, should we move on to the the good one of the bad ones? (laughs) Let's go to the good one of the bad ones. All right, so I I watched this last night. Um, Two days ago, as of this recording, was the seven-year anniversary of the first time I watched this film. Um, It is Timeline. It is based on a Michael Crichton novel. Uh, One of my favorite novels ever written, which stands in stark contrast to the finished product of the adaptation which i think is one of the most misguided attempts at an an adaptation i've ever seen um the novel uh michael Crichton, uh i i do love a lot of his novels and i've read most of them um very one note in in some of them where it's very just like that we have this thing we're going to support it with science and then this happens and it's uh, it's very like pseudo-scientific but he does usually support it with a lot of uh, he he has an md he did a lot of writing for uh, er and so he supports most of his writing like in the back like it one of the only writers i've ever seen who who has like a whole bibliography of of materials that he's read from to glean the pseudoscience from and which i do find very interesting and i'm sure a lot of people find it the opposite of very interesting but this novel timeline uh an incredible kind of oversimplification of how time travel could possibly work uh and then the movie adapts this incredible oversimplification into an even bigger oversimplification and it is confounding and to me extremely interesting and in in all of the choices that it makes to just ignore any sort of character development any sort of real plot uh and it it just excuse anything that that may raise questions and they're just like no, nobody watching this is going to ask this, but it <laughs> leaves you with so many questions, <laughs> and uh, I'm just I'm very interested in what you guys think about this movie because it's one that I watch. I haven't seen it in maybe like two or three years, but before this, it was one that I watched like yearly, which is why I remember why the like when I first watched it because it was a uh, kind of an event between uh, me and my roommates. So there's.
3: Uh in our in our past episode um, of this podcast, Chris made mention of the fact that um, he loved any movies that had to do with sort of like time travel and time resetting. Uh, and And after watching this movie, that felt like a really good uh, a really good allegory for that. It felt like, um, the scene early in this movie where Gerard Butler is gazing down at, at the tomb of a knight who's lost his ear um, <laughs> and wondering about, you know, like like looking at this thing that ultimately, spoilers for Timeline, ends up being his future um, and, and is sort of wondering about it and and. Looking in amazement at that sort of thing. And so it felt like a good allegory for us hearing about Chris's love of time travel movies, not knowing that in the future it would um, lead to our <laughs> dismemberment <laughs> metaphorically when we would be forced to watch this movie. You would be break- broken <laughs> um, down just, into
2: electrons uh, metaphorically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then reconstituted. This, in I, this, I think uh, the best
3: way I can describe my feelings on this movie are that uh, we. The three of us have started using Letterboxd uh, as a way to sort of catalog our our and rank some of our watches. Follow us like all that. on
2: uh, Letterboxd. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. I, I went through my whole Letterboxd today, uh, short aside, and made sure I put a short review on every movie I've seen. So go back and read all those because they're very interesting, I promise.
3: The only review I've put was on the, uh, what was it, um, Big Trouble, which I described as Toothless Guy Ritchie. Um, (laughs) and otherwise I've just gone with numbers but uh, for this movie I believe I gave it two stars out of five and I liked it because you have the option to like it now most movies (laughs) that get two stars would not get a like so I think that says a lot about this movie this is a very bad movie I think objectively this is not a good movie and it was a totally enjoyable watch there weren't too many moments watching this where I wasn't having fun um, unlike something like My Left Foot, where I could not get through it. Even though I guess you could probably argue that My Left Foot is a better objective movie, um, I don't actually know if that's true. Maybe that's not true. Uh, but this was a more fun movie. You know, you get key moments like when after firing a series of fire arrows, they decide to fire <laughs> night arrows, which are arrows that aren't lit on fire. Or arrows, as as we (laughs) call them in contemporary time. Um, Uh. And you get such interesting plot twists as um, Gerard Butler looking down at a knight saying, oh look, his ears cut off and he's holding the hand of this lady. That's never happened before. I wonder what could have caused that. And everybody who's watching this movie turns to themselves and go, hey look, it's Gerard Butler in a tomb. And then (laughs) an hour and a half later, it's Gerard Butler in a tomb. You get such interesting mysteries such as um, why is this uh, walking plot exposition character of a scientist who's pushed down <laughs> and bangs his head suddenly out of the movie for the end yeah. of and you don 't know whether he died or not is what it, what happened it, to him <laughs> literally is a line in the movie you get the absolute like the shattering of these sort of glass walls necessary for. The, uh, containment of the electron fields that allow you to transmit through time, and then within the six-hour
2: time frame, they've reconstructed glass. Okay, they have replacement (laughs) panels, okay? No, no, no. (laughs) They asked David Thewlis if he had a backup plan, and he said, yes, we have a backup plan. Um... It's a
3: terrible movie, and it was totally fun the whole time, because I don't get the sense that anybody involved in this movie thought that they were making the greatest movie of all time, (laughs) right? And and if they did, this would be the worst movie of all time.
4: Yeah.
2: So you want, want to hear my MVP of the movie? Is it Gerard Butler's hair? I mean, either Gerard Butler's hair or Paul Walker's hair. One of the two has to be the real MVP. My... Uh, I guess third MVP of the movie is the actress who played Kate whose performance was (laughs) so aggressively bad that it inadvertently elevated Paul Walker and Gerard Butler's performances because there are so many moments that she like I'm curious if if this is someone who I've never seen her in anything before I don't know her name this may be like her only performance in film for all i know she was very bad and provided some levity in some moments that were maybe over serious like when they're crawling through that uh secret passageway underneath and she's just like i'm sorry i let you down I wanted you to trust me and I let you down and it's just, uh, it's very epic. It's uh, it's good stuff.
3: I did really appreciate the plot twist of they were crawling through the tunnel to find out whether there was a tunnel through and then the plot twist was there wasn't a tunnel through but then the plot twist to the plot <laughs> twist was there was a tunnel through. They just needed an explosion <laughs> to get them through the tunnel which one, wasn't needed... really a tunnel but it was a tunnel.
2: Yeah, one, you needed something to blow open the opening to the tunnel which they found because, uh, you know, time is a flat circle as you learn <laughs> <laughs> from any good HBO drama. Um, and then all you need once you get to the dead end of the tunnel is for a an explosion that only happened because of a technology that was not available until somebody from the future came to the past. Um, absolutely love this movie. Everyone should watch it. It's, it's a movie that
0: I don't think could have possibly been worse,
3: but I enjoyed more.
2: <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, there, I, are some,
3: I, there are some some lighting choices you could have
2: really <laughs> fucked with. That could have... No, I disagree because if, if it was worse, then you lose that little bit, bit of an earnest attempt to make it a movie that elevates it to the point where it's like, oh, this this was trying to be a movie and it's bad. But yeah. it wasn't trying so hard to be a good movie that it's there's a, a good middle ground there it's definitely oh, yeah. in that
3: range of like oh let's get Paul Walker and Gerard Butler and ride off that charisma f- for days um,
2: I also okay. appreciate the choice to have uh, two Scottish actors playing themselves Paul Walker <laughs>
4: <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> actually I'm not sure if Billy Connolly's Scottish um, I don't know but he's a, a now deceased comedian but uh, could be Irish I don't know um, but he played it with a Scottish accent. But I, I rarely get to see Gerard Butler with his natural accent in a movie, and that was kind of refreshing, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I never would have watched otherwise, and I'm happy I did, and I'm probably going to watch it again at some point when I'm, like, drinking with
2: friends. You have to read the book first and then watch it again. God damn, I didn't have that. So the book is, like, legitimately good, which is kind of disarming when, especially I am interested to like hear your perspective of the book after having seen the movie. But, um, I, I've, this is the book that I've lent out to more people than any other book because one, it is probably his third or fourth most famous book, Michael Crichton. that is. Mm-hmm. And, um, not a lot of people know about it. Um, but, but I, think it might be his best or second best depending on how you feel about Jurassic Park um and I mean also it varies with how much you enjoy like techno thrillers but uh I've gotten a lot of really good feedback from people I've I've landed out to I've I've only had one person have like even a tepid review of it and so yeah I mean, I'm interested to to hear your thoughts on that whenever you get around to it yeah
4: I mean Absolutely. Oh,
2: yeah. Backstory, by the way, I uh, bought this book for Zach and sent it to him because because I was was very petty about him uh, making fun of me for not having uh, read Little Women. And,
0: uh, you know, there's nothing better than getting back at someone by mailing them a book. (laughs) Mailing
2: them a book that I paid for (laughs) because I was petty. Yeah.
0: All right. You know, after all those terrible movies, I think we should probably recommend some decent ones.
2: Let's do it. Uh, do we want to rank those ones first before we get into the new ones?
0: Um, I think we should just go super quickly because we're just going to hurt each other. Yeah, yeah, just, just quickly. Um, um, yeah. Chris, start off.
2: Yeah, I'll go first. All right, I got uh, Michael Clayton, Waves, Searching for Sugar Man, Color of Money, The Whackness, The Hustler, Bonus, uh, The Equalizer, uh, big, big Gap between 6 and 7 there, uh, The Commuter, Big Gap, uh, Timeline, Big Gap. Suspiria, uh, Small Gap, Fool's Russian, Chasm, My Left Foot. <laughs> you left out Westworld. I, yeah, I forgot to rank Westworld. Uh, I think it would probably be behind the Hustler before the Equalizer. Cool. Um, I had We had very similar
3: rankings uh, through the top half, three quarters, um, with a couple changes. I would go uh, Michael Clayton, Waves, uh, The Wackness, Searching for Sugar Man. Color of Money, The Hustler, Bonus, The Equalizer, The Commuter, Westworld, Timeline, My Left Foot, Fools Rush In, and Suspiria.
4: Nah,
0: that was all right. So mine's gonna be a little different. So I have number one is Waves, Michael Clayton, Searching for Sugar Man. Number four is Suspiria. Fuck you all. Uh, <laughs> <Just> wrong. <laughs> uh, five is the color of money. Six uh, after a precipitous drop off. Six is the wackness. Uh... Seven is Westworld. Eight is the Commuter. Nine is Fools Rush In. Ten is My Left Foot. No, sorry, sorry. uh ten is Timeline. Eleven is My you Left Foot. You
2: should be sorry. <laughs>
0: and twelve is the Equalizer. Okay. Um. So yeah, let's recommend some movies to each other. So this,
2: this will be better for uh, for all you all you listener. Uh, this <laughs> these recommendations. I feel like this round is is. I mean, I don't feel like I, this a hundred percent our this round is our best. Um, okay. yeah, I, I think, uh, so we'll start with the ballot recommendations, which are like our cheating ones where we've seen them for the most part, but at least one person hasn't seen them or, uh, like they're essential movies that at least one person hasn't seen or haven't seen in a while. So we got eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, which I haven't seen, um, Ivy, have you seen this one?
1: I've seen it, yeah.
2: Okay, so I'm the only one who hasn't just seen it. Just for you. It is Thanks. an essential movie. I've wanted to see this for a while. I just n- never gotten around to it. And that's kind of why we exist, I-, I think, as a podcast in general. Uh, there are so many movies that are out there, and everyone has those movies that are just like, oh, my God, you've never seen this movie? It's a deeply and self-serving I think, podcast. Yeah, and I, I think we're <laughs> we're aspiring to show just each other. <laughs> these movies that uh you should have seen um the second one is jaws that is uh probably my favorite movie of all time and zach has said he hasn't seen it in about a decade and uh nate i think you maybe it, more he's only yeah. seen it once
1: and i've never um,
2: and ivy has never seen it so uh yeah i would say go for it uh anyone else out there who has not seen it jesus it's so good um and then uh, let's get into our personal recommendations. Nate, go ahead. Sure thing. Um, so I, uh, in in sort of thinking
3: about future recommendations, started sort of lumping things into the the idea of a double feature. For for reference, for for those of you who you know have been following us and are this deep in the podcast again, which I, I guess congratulations. I'm sorry. <laughs> who knows, um, <laughs> Gabe. Uh, I. I've, we originally were going with uh, three movies, a good movie, a uh, personal favorite, and a guilty pleasure. For this round, we've uh, paired things back to um, either a good movie and a personal favorite or a personal favorite and a guilty pleasure, kind of um, our own choice. But it's, it's A good host would have explained that, but uh, Nate did a good job of that. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so one of the other hosts. <laughs> Jesus, Chris. <laughs> um, uh, so, so we've paired it back to two. Um, and I've started thinking about these sort of as, as uh, within the context of like a good double feature, things that can kind of pair together, so so thematically similar things. So the two movies that I went with are um, He Got Game, the Spike Lee um, film with uh, Denzel Washington and uh, acclaimed NBA player Ray Allen, uh, and um, paired with that is uh, the incredible Love and Basketball. Um, I'd be curious to hear what the uh, line you drew between those two movies was. I, I think you'll be able to figure it out. We'll, we'll reconvene <laughs> in about two weeks to discuss. Uh, so those are my two recommendations. They are both movies that I really love. Um, I, I think if we're categorizing, I would put um, He Got Game more in the sort of good movie category or, or maybe personal favorite, and then Love and Basketball more in the personal favorite, I guess, Guilty Pleasure, but I think it's a very good movie. Um, so so it would be cheating for a full Guilty Pleasure. Uh um, oh, I cheated on mine 100%. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, those are my two recommendations for this round. Ivy, what are yours?
1: Thank you very much. Mine are, oh, yeah, great movie. Clueless. <laughs> Anybody have seen it? Have they?
0: I, I, this so, is one of those one that I saw a long time ago and need to see it again.
2: No, so for me, this is one that uh, I've never had a r- real reason to prioritize this movie above a, a like, litany of other movies that i haven't seen and this is a good reason to watch it i've always wanted to see it and that's why we exist same for me
1: so good you're gonna understand so many pop culture references after you watch it so
2: fun a fun thing fun little aside here so just today i started listening to the zach braff donald Faison podcast where they they're revisiting scrubs and in the first episode and a little bit in the second and third episodes, they reference um, their casting processes and how Donald Faison, being in Clueless, helped him uh, with with some notoriety get into that, that Scrubs uh, audition. And, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Donald Faison, big fan of Paul Rudd. I mean, so it's a... Let's go watch Clueless. I mean, Alicia Silverstone, of course. Uh, I I know her only from whichever Batman movie she's in, but it's Batman and Robin. (laughs) It's the one
3: with it's the one with the nipples. Nipples.
1: (laughs) Okay, my other recommendation is Lars and the Real Girl. Has anyone seen it? I have not.
2: I
3: have not. Okay,
1: you guys are going to love it. So, Zach, this is made for you.
3: Uh, Lars and the Real Girl is a um, a movie that. Uh, we I, I'll I, tell I, the
1: story. Yeah, yeah. Um, we went to <laughs> we went to Ireland, and we got to Ireland at like their time. I don't know two in the morning. Our time was like six p.m. So we were wide awake and. We uh, had no internet in our hotel, so we had to look, like, on the archives, you know, like how you have five movies on your computer stored somewhere that you mm-hmm. don't know where. And this was one that Nate had, and he you'd never seen it,
3: right? I'd never seen it. it. It had been sitting on a hard drive that I had um, jacked through a, uh, a server at college where we were able to rip a bunch of movies illegally. Um, sorry apologies to all the filmmakers that I that I stole money from, um, but we uh, yeah, uh, this was a movie that I had sitting on a hard drive for years and never got around to watching. Ryan Gosling in a, a sort of early breakout role um, that that uh, it involves him falling in love with a blow-up doll, and that's
2: kind of where, we'll, where we'll take it. Didn't really know, I had no idea what this movie was about, so Interesting. Good. Yeah, good. Backs the short.
3: The short pitch.
0: Yeah. Um, and so my two recommendations. Yet again, you guys have left me with a recent movie that is uh, critically acclaimed that I know you will love.
2: Uh, yeah, but we're making this really easy on you, man. Yeah. Uh,
0: in if Bill Street could talk, I know Nate has watched that already. Um, well, Zach,
2: uh, before you go into this, put down um, uh, "Call Me by Your Name" uh, and "Moonlight." which I yep. haven't seen, so uh, oh. log those. Yep,
4: <laughs> perfect.
2: <All> right, so <laughs> those, those are, are ones go. that I've wanted to see for a while. Just put them down.
0: All right, those those are added on the list. Um, but If Bill Stringer Talk, uh, Barry Jenkins' movie, just one of the most romantic, beautiful films I've seen ever. Wow. Um, and then the other one, which I think both Nate and Ivy haven't seen, is uh, Shaun of the Dead. Never seen which
1: it. Which
0: is just... The perfect like, it's I can't call it a horror comedy because it's not really horror, but like I mean, zombie it's, comedy. It's, it's
2: horror in the sense that zombies are involved. Yeah. Um, so you suggesting this opened up like an Edgar Wright yeah. door for me, where I kind of put down a couple in my my future pocket because I, I do really enjoy him as a director, and I I, I think that whole cast works really well together.
0: I think, I think he's a great director, except Baby Driver. That movie sucks.
2: I've never seen Baby Driver, and I don't want to, so yeah. don't put it on the list. Cool. So those are my two. All
0: right, Chris, what are yours?
2: All right, so kind of jumping off from The Color of Money, uh, I, I think very, like, in the same realm uh, is Rounders. Uh, Matt Damon, Edward Norton, uh, kind of the underground poker world. Um, I think inherently hustling pool is more interesting than, than poker, but the, this isn't really about that. It's not really about poker so much as The Color of Money is about pool. Um, it's a very cool character study. Um, yeah, Zach, you, you said you haven't seen this one, right? No, not yet. I think you'll like this. Um, cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of my it's in the same vein as the color of money where it's just kind of it makes you feel like at home in it it very much immerses you in it it's a it's a vibe um, all, all I want and it's yeah it's I wouldn't say it's comforting but <laughs> <laughs> it, it is one of those very rewatchable movies so it's 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 in that realm nice. and uh, my other suggestion is gross point blank uh, which is a John Cusack movie which (laughs) I arrived at uh, through our uh, Denzel Washington uh, mandate where we have to have a Denzel Washington movie Nate Nate already took care of that with He Got Game Um, but I jokingly suggested John Q uh, which is generally considered one of Denzel Washington's worst movies and then decided to move on from John Q to John Cusack um, and gross point blank is i don't know i i think it it probably best to go into it without really knowing what it's about um it's it's an interesting story uh well, I mean it kind of delves into it really quickly so uh it's about a guy who graduates from high school and then disappears for ten years and then comes back ten years later for his ten year reunion oh,
1: and it's, it's just like, kind um... of. Is it like uh, never been kissed? Um, have you ever seen that?
2: Yes, I have. It's uh, <laughs> it's different than never been kissed, uh, ever so slightly. Essentially, this guy disappeared because he's a hitman, and oh. comes back, oh. and his he ditched his prom date on prom, and comes back and kind of reestablishes this relationship with her, like while they're um, like going back for his high school reunion but the real reason why he's gone back to his hometown for his high school reunion is to take care of a hit
1: Ooh, and, that sounds like a good movie
2: yeah it's, a, it's an interesting plot um, and I've only seen it once I watched it for the first time maybe two years ago and I, I went on this whole John Cusack thing because I'd never seen any of John Cusack's movies um and and this one kind of it's not his best uh but it is ivy goodbye it was it our was dog excellent. is freaking out it was excellent yeah. having you uh on our podcast as always uh that was ivy alcott the star of uh baliquit <laughs> um yeah so uh, nate i, I i've started to delve into the plot of gross point blank i don't think you need to okay. i, I want to no, go no, into it as no i'm, as I'm, I'm no i'm i'm not i'm not gonna explain it anymore it's and been I, on my I, list for a
3: minute i'm excited to see it
2: yeah it's uh so I, I, what i was saying though was this is not it's not john cusack's best film but it was the one where the plot was most interesting it's it's definitely not one it's it's one where someone walked into a pitch room and was like hey i got this thing and they were like wow that's okay that's different yeah. and uh, that, that's kind of what drew me to it
0: yeah, and we have a we have one guest recommendation this time. Uh, Gabe has been such a loyal listener for so long that uh he has officially one free uh, guest recommendation, and for some reason he used that on the movie Focus
4: <laughs> uh,
0: that stars Will Smith and Margot Robbie um, and we will watch that. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I
3: have to say. Having about seen it. this movie earlier in the year I will say it's a movie. It's yeah. a movie, okay. All right, and on it's a movie note.
0: I think we finally, uh, I think we finally finished this podcast. Only three hours in, rather than four. Yeah,
2: yeah uh, I think we should mention that we didn't talk about music at all. Uh, oh yeah, I just didn't listen to any. of We this stuff we I was just didn't to. listen like as as <laughs> as we did on the previous episode with not listening to Ivy's recommendation. Uh, we decided to do that with all of our recommendations. We, we tripled down, quadrupled yeah. down, yeah. didn't um, listen anything i I did listen to a couple of them and i I did listen to ivy's finally but uh have no real thoughts
0: we'll we'll talk about it another time as as we always do all
2: right well i'm I'm glad everyone uh is probably still listening uh <laughs> That's definitely <laughs> it. Everyone is still listening. Just yeah, assume uh, that.
4: Please,
3: please uh, don't judge us anyone... on this round of recommendations and look yeah. forward to the next batch because
2: we promise we'll do better. We'll, <laughs> Can't do we, worse. Yeah, I mean, well, we cannot do worse than what we what we put you through. So, I mean, if you are still listening and have watched all these movies and have decided to continue watching all these movies with us, well, good on you. Uh, you don't seem like a very smart person. but Bless your heart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bless your heart. All right, well, that's been episode nineteen of Ballot. Uh, thank you, much appreciated, for my co-hosts Nate Monshine and Zach Phyllis. I am Chris Gear. Have an excellent time. I wish Ivy were here to sign off for us because she's better at it. Bye, bye,
4: bye. <laughs>
1: so you guys who listens to your podcast (laughs) good question
4: (laughs) you're
3: looking at it